Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, officially opens in theaters tonight. And many screens are already sold out. They were lining up from here to the Dagobah system. Star Wars Episode 7 is breaking all kinds of box office records and making Mickey Mouse look like a genius with his $4 billion purchase of the franchise from George Lucas. Force Awakened and it's strong in this one. The biggest opening in the history of cinema. This has gone far better than anyone, even them, expected. The worldwide box office record for an opening weekend, a gigantic global number. All teams, give it everything you got! You don't know what I've seen. We all need to run. We must face them. Fight them. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host of the show, and you are listening to episode 20, Rebel Rebel. Now, I hope every one of our listeners had a wonderful holiday season, and we all here wish you a happy and healthy new year. Joining me this evening are my usual fellow resistance fighters. First up is someone who shocked the rest of the podcast team last week when he declared to us that he'd never seen a James Bond movie. He's a loose vintage, a modern collector, and an R5-D4 focus collector. It's Dickie Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. You've never seen a Bond movie? No, never. How? N- not invested. Next up is someone who is single-handedly smashing box office records. He hasn't left the seat in the cinema since the 17th of December. Uh, recording from there tonight, he's a Star Wars completist, a TIE fighter pilot focus collector, and oddball fanatic. It's Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Steve. How are we? I'm doing well, mate, but we need to wrap up soon because I need to get to the cinema. <laughs> How many times have you seen it? Nine times, mate. <laughs> and, and where do you rank it amongst the uh, other movies? I hate it. Next up is the most annoying person to sit alongside during a showing of The Force Awakens with his constant heavy breathing every time Ray is on screen. Our layer, Padme and Ray obsessive and resident market expert is Peter Davis. Good evening, Peter Weedy. You'd love to sit next to me, too, because I've got lots of popcorn for you. <laughs> one, one big question, Pete. Who do you prefer, Leia in a prime or Ray? Oh, there's only, there's only one answer to that. And finally, the podcast's very own Eminem. He drops beats smoother than Parappa the Rapper. A Luke X-Wing focus collector, it's Jezebel. Good evening, Jez. <laughs> hello, mate. How you doing? Oh, in fact, hello, Stu. Hello, lads. Hello, everyone. And there it is, Rainbow's back. Jess? <laughs> yeah? Jess, what would you name your autobiography? Oh, there's the question. Oh, um, what, fool. Um, probably just, um. Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Young, dumb, and, um, wh- why would you ask what would I name my autobiography? I don't know, I've just got a question down for everyone else and, uh, got to you and I hadn't written one, so. 
Oh, right, brilliant. My head. Okay, so, uh, so my autobiography is going to be Jez, The Afterthought. So since we recorded the last podcast, we've been to Farthest From and had Christmas, so I'm expecting a few recent acquisitions to be rather extensive, especially with Grant getting 25,000 credits on his app each day. Oh, mate. So let's yeah. hear what we've added, and let's start with Rich, as I could do with going to the toilet, and God knows how many weapons he's purchased over several weeks. So, Rich, what have you purchased, pal? Well, Stu, with Christmas coming up, obviously I wasn't going to spend a great deal, especially with having two kids. So I haven't actually bought a huge amount. Uh, I got my second R5-D4 Revenge of the Proof, uh, Revenge of the Jedi proof card. I bought two R5-D4 Star Wars 21 airbags. Um, I bought the first one and then I didn't realise I already had it, so I bought a second one. I bought an R5-D4 41 airbag. An R5-D4 Trilogo German Parker, which was the second I doubled up on that one. And a third R5-D4 Trilogo Type 1 um, Palatoy card back. I bought an R5-D4 Palatoy 20 back. And a spare card back for that as well. I bought a, Pol- a Palatai 45A card back. I got a Sigma Lea loose mug, a loose diecast TIE fighter, an R5D4 card of Kubrick, a Medicom R5D4 exclusive, which I was over the moon with, a couple of loose upgraded figures, um, a few Star Wars Adventure Journals issues 6 to 9, which are getting increasingly tough to track those down, lots of items from the big pick, and a loose ISP6 to complete my mini rigs. Grant? A few highlights. Um, I was taking a break from collecting, but a lot of payment plans sort of came in at the same time. Just a few highlights would be the uh, Trilogo Luke Stormtrooper, which is a nice kind of figure there. Uh, episode 7, cast and crew, soft shell. And it took 21 and a half years, but I finally got myself a loose final Cape Jawa. So that's really nice. Also, visiting our local cinema. My local cinema, which is just up the road from me, is the oldest one in Wales. It's uh, 104 years old, I believe. And I was chatting to the owner there, and he went into the archives and got me uh, some August 1983 Return of the Jedi tickets, uh, which was great as well. So, yeah, a few things popping in. Very happy. You finally got your vinyl Cape Jawa. 21 and a half years that took, mate. The post is very slow these days, isn't it? It is slow, yeah, especially where I live. <laughs> um, Jez, have you added anything? Yeah, mate, I've, um, I've done quite a few things. I just want to go back to what Grant's got there. I mean, I know you just said the vinyl Kate Jower. Massive congrats, mate, if that's 21 years in the making. But the cast and crew jacket, very nice. Yeah. And coupled with that Luke Stormtrooper. Yeah, man, you small in number, but you've got some mighty nice stuff there, mate. Oh, mate, I was holding back as well. There's some, some other lovely little bits and pieces, but, <laughs> you know, didn't want to go crazy there. Well, yeah, farthest from, I'm not going to list um, every mint on cards I got, because I did get a few, and, um, and we want to keep the time down on this podcast, um, but suffice to say, I increased my mint on card collection by about 10% or so, so that was really, really good uh, from my point of view. Um, I got the Luke X-Wing prototype coin I got sent from a ex-Kenner employee who I've been conversing back and forth with who sent me a very, it's, it's just a brilliant um, COA, and uh, I'm delighted with that. I'm looking at, at what I'm going to do with that coin and the, the standard size coin. I'm, I'm going to get a really nice, I'm going to get them framed, I think. I'm not going to send them off for grading or anything. I think I'm just going to use one of my local framers and get them done really, really nicely, along with a COA, which I'm delighted with. And uh, But of significance to me, because I think this was one of my pieces for the year, is um, I got myself a Palatoy Luke X-Wing mint on card now it was the 45b variation so it doesn't come with the palatoy sign at the bottom but obviously neither does it come with the kenner but it's just uh it was a great 
great opportunity for me to get a Palatoy whilst I was at Farthest From. And then, Grant, you pointed out, in fact, quite a few guys, including Ben, pointed out the German reseal Luke X-Wing, which was an absolute steal for that price. It was my first my first reseal in my collection. But at £27, when a, a fully sealed one has recently gone for about two grand, yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite pleased with that. Yeah, man. What about you, Stu? Well, I haven't asked Pete yet. That was one of your lists, actually, and um, the Vinyl Cape Jail was actually on Grant's list as well. So, Grant, you've smashed one of your things off your list as well. Hey, it was number one on the list. Gone. So, yeah, Uh, big big start, boys. Um, Pete. Sorry about that, Pete, um, because normally I'm last. Jez the afterthought. Don't forget the autobiography. So, (laughs) I I just assumed that, you know, Pete, you would have your bit. Let's, you know, I'm going to put a punt out. You've got yourself a Padme. You've got yourself another Knocked Up Birds and maybe a scruffy Leah Mock. What was that? Was that having a go? <laughs> no. Uh, but that's it, clearly. That's all I've got. That's all I've had this month. That's it. You can move on, Stu. Jez has done it for you. <laughs> Pete, I know you've also knocked something off your list, haven't you, sweetheart? Two things off my list. Uh, I got myself a, a hand mock off um, a farthest from, which is Turner Jedi hand best spin, which is very nice. Uh, that was off our friend Chris. Um, I also got an IG-88 mock as well, so I'm 20 mocks in my full list I got a B-Wing and a Secret Santa uh, someone bought me a very nice I'm not, I'm not even going to pronounce it but uh, a, a Tuscuda Weequay mock as well which is very nice very nice yeah. so uh, I've been I've been mocking out I also got managed to buy 10 acrylic cases off uh, Christian which is very nice so uh, I've been encasing all my mocks in, in acrylic I've now got more mocks on acrylic so I'm going to buy some more and I got another thing off my list which was an odd Empire Strikes Back item. This was the the I, I, I posted the picture in the latest acquisitions, which was the very strange book where you have a number of sort of scenarios and you flip the book over. So you start with a character, uh, the character's in something, doing something, looking at something, and you've got like two hundred thousand possible connotations basically. So it's a really really cool book, really really simple, but a real fun. I'll, I'll post some more pictures of must- some of my. Uh, connotations i saw you post that really really good fun it is i actually had a bit of a laugh with my nephew over christmas um because it is real real basic stuff but you can do things like uh have like yoda sitting on a torn torn looking at darth vader whilst you know playing with princess leia's hair kind of thing and is you you can just keep flicking over the the um the little pictures and come up with some real bizarre sort of you know scenarios so uh, i might post a few more because they are rather amusing it would be rude not to mention it i think you guys are saying my secret Santa, amazing! I got like a complete jab of the hut for it, and I, I was blown away, absolutely blown away by that. I don't, don't know about you guys, but I thought Secret Santa this year was amazing. We, we did quite well, didn't we? Out with our father's from people were very kind and gave us gifts. Um, we also got like a key ring, and we got a decoration of Christmas tree. Um, some people were really nice to us uh, for, doing, for doing the podcast. I would like to give them a shout out. It was, it was Scruffy Nerf yeah. off the forum, um, Simon, who gave us the Lego key rings. Yeah, I think he even bought key rings which resembled us because he gave me Chewbacca because he thought I'm a mighty fine warrior. <laughs> well, I can a fat, which means, uh, I don't know. He did actually follow up with Chewbacca. He goes, I couldn't find an Ewok. So, <laughs> And obviously, um, it was Scott Clark's pine chips off the floor and made those Christmas decks. Yeah. And I bought my stuff back from Farthest From. That was my wife's favourite piece. Yeah, the, um, the, the decoration went on the tree and the key ring is on my key ring. So uh, I think he was trying to tell me something that I needed to wear a bucket on my head because he bought me a bother fat, so a bit harsh. Sorry, Steve, what about you, buddy? 
well, I'm, I'm going to not list too much. I've, I've added quite a few mocks over, over the last couple of months. But, um, yeah, I suppose my favourite pieces I've picked up is my Greedo Revenge Proof card, which I've finally paid off. And big thanks to Mark Walsh for letting me pay that over a couple of months. I did get an R2-D2 Toyota, and in all seriousness, my wife's face was an absolute picture when I walked in with that. It's taller than Stu, my Stu, I have to admit, I did talk you into that. <laughs> it's a... Certainly a strange one, and I have already put a couple of beat-up X-Wings and stuff in it. I'm going to fill it with um, beat-up toys, so Good. they're there for my lad to play with if he comes out into my it mouth. Just, it just looked right. It just looked right with you. <laughs> I don't know why. It just I don't know. There's something about it. It just looked like, a, you know, like your friend. Yeah, cheers, Pete. That's oh, right. <laughs> really appreciate it. It is the size of a dustbin, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, quite, it's about the same size as my son, yeah. He thought he could go in it. Um, I also want to say a big thank you to my Secret Santa. I didn't open my Secret Santa till Christmas Day. And the, the package shape, I, I looked at it and I thought, well, it's nothing that I asked for. I didn't think anyway. But I had put toothbrushes on the um, thing, but it bought me the six-pack all sealed for the um, salesman to go around and try and sell them. So really, really, really happy with that. Um, Jez, Richard, what did you two get for your Secret Santas? Yeah, well, cheers, Stu. I, was, I, I thought we were going to do the Secret Santas afterwards, um, hence why I didn't include it in mine. But no, again... I think um, I think we all did Secret Santa on the um, SWF UK. I think there were a few other Secret Santas on a few other forums. But mine, yeah, I got myself a die-cast um, Takara X-Wing, which was really, really cool. A little R2-D2 pencil topper, a Star Wars pencil, but also I have broken my Bendham Cherry. I got myself a mint on cards Bendham Chewbacca. Thank you very much, Secret Santa. You nailed it. There's no way back, Jazz. There's no way back. After you have one bend of my you've had it. I've got thousands of them just lying around. No, they are, they are cool. They're a little bit different. And I wanted to go back to the um, really thoughtful freebies which we've been given at Farthest From. We mentioned the tree decoration. Just to put a bit more meat on the bones or a bit more decoration on the tree, um, these were beta figures which were sort of well past their prime which had been turned into Christmas decorations. And and possibly, I don't know, maybe we could even put a picture on the Facebook page. But I've got a Dengar one, which had been turned into a Father Christmas Dengar. just looked absolutely perfect. Thank you very much. Mine's gone into the uh, yearly box of Christmas decorations now. It's in there with all the baubles. <laughs> so is mine, Pete. Yep, it'll be up, up again next year. Rudolph the Red Nose Klaatu I got. I had uh, Obi-Wan Santa. <laughs> I, got, I got like a squid head. And his tentacles was painted like a beard. It was amazing. <laughs> Rich? I, I must not have been there that bit because I've got no memory of that. Oh, Pat <laughs> didn't make you one. Yeah. He, oh, he did say that he made it for his favourite podcasters. Oh, exactly. Uh, right. exactly. <laughs> Obviously, I mean, I was in a few Secret Santas, but this year for me has been the best Secret Santa that I've had so far. And I was, like, used to, I didn't open mine until Christmas Day. I got a couple of things that I asked for and a couple of things that I didn't ask for, but what? you know, equally well appreciated because there was such a, a great little idea and a little stocking filler. Um, and I also got a couple of items, um, I think one of you guys mentioned Simon Scuff, you look at Nerf Herder, for the Vectus run that I did. So he wrapped up some little presents and I opened them. So I got a couple of nice little Lego sets. Um, so I opened them at Christmas, but it was the, the loose mini rig, the, the crown and jewel is what I got. Just it's nice to finish off a run for somebody like me who has so many different runs going at the same time. It's, it's great actually to see that one's done and complete now. And I just want to say, farthest from. This father's one was superb. The, the dealer tables were amazing on the Sunday. And obviously, Gerald Holm was there doing his talk. And Dave Shorter, who was uh, hilariously funny. And I hope to get him on the show as, a, as an interview. Well, we should say as well that Dave Shorter, was, uh, he's got a massive Admiral Akbar focus, hasn't he? <laughs> he has, yeah. 
and he's also um, just announced in the last few days that his book's now been given uh, the go-ahead. <laughs> and is that is that book going to be on Admiral Akbar? Yeah, there's just one page. It it was it was really amusing, wasn't it? Yeah, well, he was like a stand-up comic for Admiral Akbar, and uh, I know you think those two things wouldn't normally go together, but yeah, he did he did a great job. I mean, I personally thought the highlight was um, obviously dusting off the Falcon again and having our first complete podcast <laughs> out in, in the Falcon. Let's not forget the old motor home of love. Yes, me, me and Peter snuggled most of the night. Yes. Some, Stu did a lot of cleaning. Someone was sick in it. I know, yes. I felt like his mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That wasn't that wasn't great, was it? Eh? I was in the Falcon for all of about ten minutes, I think. Well, Rich, oh, I found it amazing that we had to get the Falcon because we couldn't find a room. But then it came to light, you'd booked about eight and didn't have anyone to sleep in them. <laughs> I wondered why we had such a great experience. That was it. It's because Rich wasn't there. Oh, Rich was sleeping in four rooms at the same time. He was spending like half an hour in each one. I, I did think of getting the breakfasts from each one in the morning. But you don't eat breakfast. You don't eat anything. You only eat, like, coal. Bran flakes. Coal and bran flakes, that's your, it. Your Christmas dinner and the Father Strom event. I, lo- I loved <laughs> it. Just potatoes, potatoes and peas. <laughs> it's just brilliant. I'm going to move this on because this chat's gone on for ages. So, for many, many months, the excitement been building, slowly leaked details, photos, trailers, um, right up from that first photo, wasn't it, of the uh, of the read-through. Now, we've all finally seen The Force Awakens. Let's just go round. Where did you see it? Who did you see it with? And your feelings about the movie. Let's start with, across my screen, Grant. Uh, I saw it in the Showcase Deluxe in Bristol with Jez and another friend of mine. It was in 3D. To be honest with you, the first time I saw it, I didn't like it. And I think that's because the things I didn't like really stuck out to me. But it was the second view in that everything fell into place. And then, you know, as the film obviously has a few issues with it, man, I think it's, I think it's amazing. I think, I think, I can't believe we live in the world where we have episode seven of Star Wars. And uh, really looking forward to the future as well. Petey? Um, I saw it at the View Cinema, which was the old Regal in Leamington, where I saw Star Wars when I was four years old. So I returned. In fact, I've seen all the Star Wars films in that same building, so that's not bad. Um, I saw it, obviously, Midnight Showing. Didn't do the 3D. I wasn't interested in 3D. Saw it in quite a smaller screen, actually, because they, they started selling tickets, and it went small screen, and then they, they opened up the big screen for um, the 3D, so I was quite happy to be in the small screen. It was actually really well-behaved. There was no whooping, no stupidity, no idiots you know um, no nonsense it was actually you know it was all I think quite hardcore Star Wars fans and I actually saw quite a few people who I knew in the in the cinema which was quite amusing and uh, more about that another time I was quite nervous to go in actually because I thought right this, this could be either another Phantom Menace or it could be something better and uh, thankfully it was you know something absolutely brilliant so and each time I've watched it I've just seen something new each time so it hasn't hasn't got worse it's just got better and better and I remember when I saw Phantom Menace and then I saw it two or three times afterwards I actually didn't really enjoy it each time I went enjoyed it less and less got more of a strain but this I enjoy it more each time I go so it's such an easy watch you know I mean and I, I, I've never seen a film where everyone who's gone to see it even people who I know, know would probably normally be quite negative have actually come out and said yeah I really like that I mean I took my mom to see it as well she loved it you know she hasn't really didn't take any interest in the prequel films but could just pick up the storyline from the old films and just keep going with it so it has appeal to everybody I think that's why it's been a, such a huge success uh, Rich yeah well I took both my kids to the midnight show at um, local cinema to me the 501st were there which I thought was a little bit odd because not many kids would have been at the midnight show and in fact actually from memory I think my two were the only two that were there so when we went into the cinema I mean it was obviously we were all tired and 
I think you guys were probably the same as me. We were running on adrenaline, and I think that adrenaline worn out even more. The, the trailers just went on and on and on, and I don't know about you, I thought every one of those trailers was utter tripe. There was nothing on there that made me think, ooh, I, th- I think I'm going to come back to see this. By the time the, fi- the movie finished, I was just so overwhelmed, and I was I was really tired, but I came out there thinking, that was a good film. First and foremost, it was a good film, and it was also a very, very good Star Wars film. And I initially rated it an 8 out of 10, this is the only film I've ever went back to the cinema to see twice. I've never, ever been back to cinema um, to see the same film twice, excluding the special editions they had, of course. So when I went back the second time, I enjoyed it more, and I probably raised me score to about a 9 out of 10. There are some flaws in the film, and, and I will say there are flaws. I'm not going to say it's the best thing that I've ever seen, because it isn't. But it's a very, very good film, and what Pete said there, it's such a, a laid-back, easy-to-watch film for the casual fan says that it was aimed at exactly the right level. Jezebel. Yeah, so as Grant said, I watched it with Grant. First of all, in a huge, huge cinema, which had the Dolby Atmos sound, which was just phenomenal. Yeah, ideally, I would have preferred to have seen it in 2D, but the fact is, a friend of mine said, come on, I've got this ticket for you, let's go, and let's watch it on the opening night. Uh, it was just brilliant. It was a lovely experience going along to it. I understand what everyone was saying about needing to watch it a second time. I saw it the first time, and I left just thinking, no, that... I loved it. That was great. Yeah, of course there's there's flaws. You tell me a film where there isn't a flaw or, or some sort of plot hole or some sort of issue. Um, it's certainly not a science fiction one. So if people have got issues with that, then yeah, that, that's a bit silly. As I said, with the second viewing, I felt a lot more of an emotional connection to it. You know, everyone starts picking up on the music. Uh, again, John Williams just nailing it. But I just, um, I just thought the new characters and the old ones just work so well together. Every time I go and watch it, it's just a film which keeps on giving. I, I absolutely love this movie. I agree. I, I went to see it with my brother and my brother-in-law at the midnight showing, and I was quite overwhelmed when it finished. I think because we've been anticipating it for such a long time, and to try and take everything in was just too much. And I came out thinking, oh, not sure. I went back the following night with my wife, and absolutely amazing movie. This is a quick question I'd like to ask you guys as well, really quickly. Favourite scene? Lightsaber into hand. Rich? I know most people hate it, but I didn't mind General Hooks's um, speech. Stu? Oh, that's a, that's a real toughie. I'm going to go for when the... Um, I know we saw some of it in the tra- in the trailer originally, but when they're in trouble near Maz's castle and you first see those X-Wings flying across the river. Pete? Uh, uh, I'm not sure if it's my favourite favourite scene, but it's a scene I do love. Is is that little bit of music that's playing when Poe's in his X-Wing and he's just taking everyone out and he's flying around and, and uh, Finn is watching him like oh my god who's this pilot this is amazing <laughs> and he's taking out stormtroopers individually and he just goes to show that how amazing it is. he's flying around he's taking out stormtroopers and he's dogfighting it's a proper like World War 2 World War 1 kind of dogfight and he's just, ta- oh, it's just it's just superb the, the way that it was done in the, kind of in the background was just beautiful I also think um, the the vision. I can't wait to have that on DVD to be able to see yeah, it. Right yeah, yeah, exactly. There's so much in it. Yeah. Um, I think as well uh, the Falcon reveal. I thought that was genius. <laughs> yeah. But you I, see, that's that's sort of comedy that yeah that that, that, that is done so well. It it wasn't a funny line. It wasn't a gag. It was just pure you know natural comedy. Yeah, you, you know, it was so Star Warsy. Exactly. You, you, you don't need a fart noise. You don't need a, a silly voice. It was just done with such wonder. I mean, it, it totally threw me in the cinema because I wasn't expecting it. My, no. my, my, my jaw hit the floor when that happened. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, genius. You, you just I, I fanned him in the face right there. We all knew it was coming. We all knew the Falcon would appear in the film somewhere, but we didn't know how we were. I mean, I thought they'd bump into Han and Chewie on in, in, in like a bar or something. I think but uh, that was so funny. Ray catching that lightsaber is up there with the very, very, 
very, very best of the OT. It just gets me every time that stance that she's got. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, this is incredible. And I was well up as well. The music kicks in from when um, when Owen and Baru are yeah. dead. Oh, mate, 10 out of 10. 20 out of 10. That was, that's incredible. 20 out of 10! I would also say, which we haven't mentioned, BB-8, what a charming character, I think. Uh, oh, incredible. that bit where she, he's, like, sad, and then she nods to him and says, like, come on, and he goes, wow! Yeah. <laughs> Mate, that's amazing! And his little, um, his little gas thumb. 20 out of 10 again. But yeah. again, it, it, it's a character full of humour without being goofy and silly. It's just, it's just beautiful. Yeah, when he's spinning around the money and Falcon inside, and he uses those little little ropes to steady himself, I mean, that was just done so well. Shall we crack on? Yeah. I don't want to. I want to carry <laughs> From concept to collectible, may the toys be with you. Silly Salesman Sample Sale. The Rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Well, I'm delighted to be joined this evening by long-term collector, SWCA blogger, toy historian and archivist, Tommy Garvey. Good evening, Tommy, and welcome to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Hey, I think you've got more titles than the Queen actually going through this list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a mod on Rebel Scum, too. I'm an admin on the Star Wars Micro Machines uh, Facebook page, and I'm an admin on a couple other Facebook groups. Tommy, I've asked you to join me tonight to discuss your most recent blog post on the SWCA titled How Star Wars Figures Are Made, The Birth of Kia Mall. Now, firstly, I've got to say that Tommy Garvey and Kia Mall kind of has that 1930s American gangster thing going on, a bit like Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> What's the attraction to you with this particular figure? Well, I actually started collecting the figure because I was basically out of my mind. Back, like, 17 years ago, I had a fever, like really, really high fever, like 102, 104, which is just on the edge of going to the hospital. And I was laying on the couch, going in and out of consciousness, essentially. And my mom was hovering over me as mothers are, you know, apt to do. And I asked her, like, I'm expecting an email, a very important email. She's like, well, you did get this email from Kathy at the Earth Toy Mall about prototypes. And it was during the early stages of the Earth's hard copy find where they had, you know, hard copies of all the the vintage figures, essentially. And my mom was like, Kathy wants to know which one of these you want. And I knew they were going to go fast. So even though I'm sick, out of my mind, high on cold medication, I can't even stand up at this point. My mom's like, I know you're really, really waiting for this email. So what do you want me to tell her? And so she hands me the list of pieces that Kathy has available. And there are, you know, trilogy characters. There's basically any character you want. And I looked at the list and I said, tell Kathy that I'll take that one. And it turned out to be Kia Mall. I have no idea why I picked that figure. I didn't own the production figure. I had never seen the cartoon show. I knew nothing about her. It just 
was one of those weird, delirious moments. But my mom wrote back Kathy. She said, okay, Tommy says he's going to take this figure. And then a couple weeks later, Kiamal arrived in the mail. And I'm like, on earth was I thinking? But it, but it actually worked out for the best because no one else wanted Kiamal either. Mm-hmm. So all the Kiamal stuff that came in binds over the years... They came to me because no one else cared. And because she was produced at the tail end of the line, the Kenner employees had kept basically everything for that figure. And so it just happened to find its way to me over the years. Wow, that's a fantastic story. I haven't heard any of that before. If it wasn't for Kian Mall, would you have gone down the same route with another figure? Well, I have a Luke Poncho focus, too, but nothing to the extent of Kiamal. At the time, it it never even occurred to me to dart a focus, because back in those days, I mean, with the exception of Bill McBride and John Wooten, no one was really doing focuses that much. Mm -hmm. But it just so happened that so much pre-production material was hitting the market that you could basically get a wide variety of characters. So as lists of things were offered to me, like the the coin etchings, for instance, you could buy a bunch of different characters. But since I already had the Kia hard copy, I figured, well, I might as well get the coin etching to match it just because, you know, why not? If I can pick any figure, I might as well pick this one. So it wasn't like I set out originally to start a focus. It was just sort of happened. At what point did you realize that you were, I want to use the word trapped, but I think that's probably not the best word. (laughs) About 2000, I was at a toy show in Orlando and uh, James Gallo was there and he had brought two first shots and uh, the Brazilian uh, glass light carded Kiamal and it just so happened that at the FX show, the, the toy show in Orlando, uh, wasn't that crowded that year. So I need to pay off my booth. So I'm willing to sell you these three pieces for a really good price. So I bought those and I had already had the, the hard copy and the etching plate. And by that point, I mean, I figured, why not? I have this much. I might as well go for everything. Yeah. So focusing on your blog story now then, early on in the blog entry you refer to the toys as a work of art. Now to me art is something that you look at and admire but you see way beyond that. So what do you mean by referring to the toy process as a work of art? Well, the toys don't like appear on the shelves fully formed. If you really stop and think about it, somebody sat down at a table with a lump of clay and a block of wax and made Boba Fett. Like they sat down and they sculpted that figure. So I just don't understand how anyone cannot view that as art. Like it's it's a realization of that sculptor's vision of what that figure looked like. Do you link this into the historical side of it as well? Do you do you see it as one all-encompassing thing? I do, I do. I think that's one of the reasons why I started so early in the process for Kiamal. Like I started at literally the creation of the character because I view it as all one event. Like yeah. it's all one narrative of how this figure came to be and why they made the choices that they made. Your blog post describes the toy production process right from the very initial early sketches all the way up to the point when the product appeared on the shelves. So how does one person manage to collate all of this information and put it in one place? Well, I'm, I'm sort of standing on the, the shoulders of geniuses here. I mean, I I started collecting 90, 93, 94, but by, by 94, the archive was already online. So my collection would not be where it is if it wasn't for the, the other archive editors sort of doing a lot of this research, finding a lot of these pieces. 
So you can do it, but you really have to work with the community. The character that you've chosen to walk through this whole process was obviously going to be Kiamol. And you've started off discussing the fact that this is actually a cartoon character. And there are differences between a cartoon character and one that was actually seen in the movie. So what are the key differences and challenges in the toy process? Well, Kiamol doesn't exist, obviously. So if you were trying to draw, if you were trying to sculpt a Luke Skywalker figure, you would start off with a picture of, you know, Mark Hamill, obviously. Mm-hmm. But Kia doesn't exist. So before you can make a picture, make a figure of Kiamal, you have to decide what Kiamal looks like. So there was a bunch of stages before the actual sculpting stage where they had to figure out what Kiamal would look like first. You wouldn't need to do that with a trilogy character because that had already been done, you know, by either the actor's appearance or costuming, uh, Macquarie's drawings, things like that. But the droids characters were all, you know, imaginary. Everything about them had to be designed. You had to decide the color of their hair, what color their eyes were, things like that. I'm picturing a kind of process here where we've got some very, very creative and talented designers and then other guys who actually have to make these toys and who would look at these designs and go, that's not going to happen, it's going to be too expensive. What kind of influence did Kenna have on the design of the character for the cartoon show? If you look at the history of the droids line, there seems to be a very close relationship between Kenner and Nelvana. You think about like 80s cartoon shows, they're always just essentially commercials to sell toys. They always have, you know, all the all the different vehicles and characters that are already released as toys. So I, I think what you had was probably, I would guess, someone from Kenner talking to Nelvana about what Kenner could and couldn't do. If you look at some of the Nelvana art, some of it is actually Kenner material that Kenner has sent to Nelvana to then put into the earliest stages of their cartoons, like their body rigs and stuff. Kenner sent them sketches and pictures of what the body rigs looked like mm-hmm. to Nelvana so that Nelvana, from the earliest stages, could weave those vehicles into the narrative because Kenner wanted to sell the toys. So I think probably Nelvana had told Kenner, like, these are the figure, these are the characters in our TV show. Which one of these characters do you like? And Kenner probably said, well, we're we want to make character, uh, figures of this one, this one, and this one. They have the most you know, toyetic look. And then Nelvana went from there. Would Ken I have perhaps suggested that the base characters on similar toys that they've already got? Now, what I'm thinking of here is perhaps reusing some of the Leia sculpt to keep costs down. I, I'm not aware of them reusing any sculpt on a unique droid's figure they didn't seem to do that because they it seems like the droids figures were going for a more cartoony look less realistic than the trilogy characters Mm -hmm. the sculpts for the droids figures i don't think any of them recycled except for the figures that were recycled you know like fat so toys start obviously with the concept art stage typically how long would this process take i'm really intrigued to understand how the colors were decided on these characters It, it takes about a year the the colors for Kia, I'm not entirely sure why they made the decisions that they made. I mean, if you look at the earliest artwork, she's, you know, a blonde and dressed in very colorful clothing. And by the end, it becomes more utilitarian. Uh, if I had to guess, I would guess it's because the character designer drew her as more action oriented. She has sort of a swagger 
yep. to her early artwork versus the original script where she's portrayed more as a as a gearhead. You know, she talks to Thal about, um, you know, his speeders, things like that. So if I had to guess, I would say that the concept artist, the character designer drew her as more of a confident sort of where her last name is Maul, which is after the gun Maul, like gangster era, you know, like the, the tough girlfriends of gangsters. So yeah. I think that's what he was going for. So I think they decided to change the colors to give her a more serious look, mm-hmm. would be my guess. I mean, she goes from, you know, like blue and red and yellow to more um, khakis, things like that. Yeah. So I, I think they probably just changed the nature of the character and the role she would play and thus... The, the finished colors. Um, you could also argue that they chose the colors they did because they can't use as many colors as were on the original concept because every color you put on the figure costs Kenner money. And it costs Novanum money too because all those hundreds of thousands of animation cells have to be painted by hand. So the more colors you have, the more it costs you. So they could have simplified her design just as a cross-cutting measure. So what is the purpose of the wax sculpt? They made the concept one just as an example of what it would look like in 3D. If you if you look at the the conceptual wax, it's almost an exact copy of the conceptual art. I think they just did it to get a good idea of what the finish line would look like. They the concept one Kia together with the other concept one droids characters and probably had some sort of meeting to show this is the set we're going for. Do we have a nice mix of, you know, humanoid and alien characters? It didn't really serve any other point in the process. They didn't make hard copies of it or anything. It's just a wax sculpt that they painted. Would that have been roughly to scale? Uh, no, it's a it's a little bit smaller. All right, I, th- I thought it'd be the other way. So it's actually smaller than what you'd expect. It's about the same size. It's just a little bit smaller than the production figure. So I don't know if... I think they were probably trying to make it production scale. They just changed Kia's height. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of iterations at this point. How many cycles typically would you expect of sculpt, refine, redesign, sculpt, refine, redesign through the wax sculpting process? The the droids figures all have two concept pieces. Mm -hmm. The regular trilogy characters wouldn't have had that many because, again, you wouldn't need to try to decide what Mark Hamill looked like. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't need to design his outfit or anything like that because that work was already been had already been done. Kenner was just trying to get a good idea of what the figure might look like while Nelvana was still designing the character. You've said that Kenner obviously were heavily involved throughout this process. What about other focus groups at this point? Would they perhaps invited, you know, groups of kids or any toy store purchasers? I'm not aware of any information on that. I know that they did have focus groups uh, with kids, but I don't know if they would be involved this earliest stage. My guess is they would have some sort of focus group on what kids were looking for, mm-hmm. but Kenner's making toys for the droids line. I mean, they, they need to continue the Star Wars license uh, because they've made you know, billions of dollars off of it. So there's really no question they're going to make toys. Whether they had asked kids what toys they wanted from the droids cartoon, I I personally doubt it. If you look at the time period that they're starting the Kia Mall figure, it's so early. The character ha- wasn't even completed yet. The design at Nelvana wasn't completed when Kenner started sculpting Kia. Like, they, they started production of the Kia Mall action figure before 
the ink and paint department had even started on the cartoon. So while it's still in the script phase, while they're still deciding on the story for the series, Kenner is already working on that action figure. So I don't think Kenner would have gone to kids with the droid script. And even if they did, I don't think kids would have pointed to Kia Mall and been like, that one, I want that character, because she's just not terribly important. So with Kenner starting the sculpting so early on, did that mean that often that things were completely redesigned and scrapped and having to start it again, therefore a bit of waste of time? Yes, yes. If you look at the like the Jan Tosh carback, for instance, at Jan Tosh's feet is a is a character who doesn't exist. And it used to confuse me, like, who is that? And who it turns out to be is a alternate version of Jessica Mead. That version of Jessica Mead is Caucasian, and Jessica Mead is, uh, you know, African-American. But when they painted the card back, Jessica Mead, her name was Adithia, and, you know, she was Caucasian. But by the time they changed the design for the character, they had already painted the card back, and they just never bothered to repaint it. Now, it's interesting to note that Ken, I would also look at the bigger picture really early on by beginning to produce photo art and mock-ups for the final card back. Is this just because it's cheap and very easy to do, or is there another benefit of introducing this at an early stage? I think they probably did it at an early stage just to make sure that everything looked okay. If the figure was just ridiculous or didn't look like a toy, then that would be where to spot it. They also sometimes use those mock-ups to design store displays. I don't think it served any other purpose other than just approval, just to give a general idea of this is what the Kia Mall figure will look like. They didn't spend a great deal of time on it. If you look at the artwork, the artwork is all lifted from uh, Nelvana's art. They just lifted Kia out and changed her hair color, and then put her on that uh, card back. So was it a fast approval process? I think the approval process was probably uh, more figural. I think they were probably approving the concept sculpts. The card back, I think they were probably just presenting a concept in a, this is what her card back might look like, but it ended up not looking anything like that. When would Lucasfilm begin their quality control sampling? Lucas had to sign off on everything Nelvana did. So the process seems to have been that Nelvana would decide we need a character named Kia Mall, and the character designer would design a concept, and he would send it off to uh, another animator who would do the model sheet for it, like the, the turnaround of the character from all angles. Then that would go to the director of the series, and the director of the series would say, yeah, that looks about what I was going for. And then they'd send that to Lucasfilm, and Lucasfilm would then say whether or not they approved of it or offer you know, uh, suggestions for improvement. And then it would go to Kenner. So Kenner's not really doing the design work on the character at that point. Their conceptual sculpts are for them. They're not sending them to Lucas yet. Uh-huh. I think Lucas is probably approving the figure, uh, I would guess, sometime in the hard copy stage. Mm -hmm. This is what the figure would look like. Because you don't want to do it at the first shot stage because that's terribly expensive. But the hard copy would give Lucas a good idea of what the figure would look like. Now, you mentioned wax sculpts, but you've also mentioned clay sculpt as well. I've never heard the term clay sculpt before. How do those two stages work and and what, what is the purpose of the clay sculpt? The the clay sculpt is actually the sculpt before the wax sculpt. If you think about the sculptor's not going to sit down with a with a block of wax and just sculpt directly from that. 
what he's going to do is he's going to start off with clay. He's going to get the figure in the, the general shape he wants. So he's going to sculpt out of the clay like a rough approximation of what the figure might look like as far as scale and general details. You know, this is the head. She's wearing a belt, that kind of thing. Then he'll make a mold of that, and then he'll pull her in the wax, and he'll pull out uh, the, the wax cast pieces, and from there he will start adding the, the details. So the wax sculpt, in most cases, is actually a copy of the earlier clay, mm-hmm. but collectors don't really think of it that way. And what about accessories? They cannot go through the exact same process in, in making accessories for these figures. Yes, not with Kia. Um, Kia had her own gun in the in the series, but Kenner decided, you know, no one knows what Kia's gun looks like, so they just recycled uh, Squidhead's gun for Kia. But the the decision on accessories has to be made fairly early on because the the figure's hand has to be able to hold the weapon. So you have to do that even before you sculpt the figure, uh, usually. Once you decide uh, what the weapon needs to look like, you need to do uh, an engineering drawing of it. Like, this is the size, this is what we want it to look like. Then that has to be, you know, approved. Then, yes, you would either sculpt it, or uh, sometimes they apparently patterned them at a larger scale, out of wood, and then it would go through the general stages of production, just like the figure would. At the hard copy stage, is there evidence to show that even at, I mean, some collectors may say is being an early stage still, but it possibly is quite late in the pre-production process, is there evidence that they could still go back and completely refine the sculpts again? Yes, there are plenty of figures where they did just that, where they decided, you know, we just don't like the look of you know, his pants, so they'd go back and re-sculpt them. Since it's all done by hand, there's not really a whole lot of money involved. It's just a matter of paying the model maker to go and make another mold and paint up another one. The The expensive stage would be the first shot stage, because the, the steel tooling costs Kenner a lot of money, but the, the hard copies are all made by hand in silicon molds, and you can make uh, alterations to those fairly easily. But I don't think they made any changes to Kia. I think they all the hard copies are exactly like the production figure. The point it gets from the hard copy to the molds seems to be a very delicate and tricky process to undertake. Now, I've, I've read your article a couple of times, and, and I'm trying to get it clear in my head. Is it similar to the pantograph idea for wooden patterns that Gus described on his uh, Jawasan call, I find? Yes, the the difference would be that the wood pattern is the tooling aid, mm-hmm. and the hard copy just makes the tooling aid. So the, the hard copy is not the thing that makes the steel mold like the wood pattern is. The hard copy is the thing that makes the tooling aid, which makes the steel mold. Uh, and is there a separate name for the tooling aid, or is that just referred to as a tooling aid? We just call it the tooling aid. No tooling aids from the three and three quarter inch line have turned up. Were there multiple hard copies of each figure? And if so, what was the purpose of each kind of hard copy? Uh, generally, they made uh, six of them. Mm-hmm. They made six hard copies. Um, two of them would be paint masters, where you would paint them up and show this is what the, the figure would look like when it's fully painted, and you would use it in photography. You would use it as you know an approval piece. You might use it at Toy Fair. A whole bunch of early uses for the figure, since it is essentially exactly what the figure will look like. Um, Since it's more detailed than the production figure, it's used in a lot of catalog photography just because it looks better and it's hand-painted and and they look neat. Two of them are generally sent to make the steel molds, and then you have extras just in case. 
<laughs> I can imagine some clumsy kind of employee dropping his two hard copies and asking for another few to be produced. You see that sometimes with, with the photo samples. If you look on the, the figures they actually sent to the, the photographer are sometimes not in the greatest condition just because they're delicate. You know, they're missing paint or they'll be broken and re-glued. Would any of those have been used for marketing the toys with um, sellers and retailers? Well, if you look at the Paintmaster in the article, it actually has glue on its feet. So it was used in some sort of photography. It was used at some sort of presentation, but I, I, I don't know where. I've never been able to find pictures of it. I don't know that they had hard copies of the droids figures at Toy Fair, but I know that they did have prototypes on occasion when the production figure wasn't ready. So I don't I don't know exactly where the Kia hard copy was used, but I know that other prototypes were presented to retailers. Sometimes we've seen examples of kit-bashed figures. Is any evidence to suggest that some of the droids and Ewoks lines were kit-bashed at all in some way? I don't think they had kit-bashed Kia just because they had already done the conceptual work on her. If they needed a quick version of the character, they had already done that. I think that's the, essentially the same stage where... They just decided work up something quick and dirty to show what Kia looks like. And I think it's the same basic stage as a kit-bashed figure would be. But in the case of Kia, especially, they only have Leia figures in the line. And there's no real Leia figure that can double for a Kia figure. So what are they going to do? At some point, the first batches or first shots of the figures become available from the molds. So what was the purpose of the early first shots? The first shots are essentially tests. They're just testing the the steel molds. The earliest first shot, the earliest figures out of the mold would actually have been done at the mold making facility. So if you if you think about Kenner sent the hard copy to another company in the states which would make the steel mold and the company would take the hard copy and use the hard copy to make the tooling aid and then use the tooling aid to make the steel mold and then they would test the mold with whatever plastic they had on hand and those are called bench shots and they're sort of a question mark they exist but no one's quite sure how to tell them apart usually but once the bench shots are approved you know, they look exactly like they're supposed to. And yeah, that looks like here. Then the steel molds would be sent overseas where they would produce the actual figures. And once uh, the vendors in Asia got the steel molds, then they would start doing first shots. So first shots would be the first figures out of the molds in Asia. And the bench shot would be the first figures out of the mold at the mold making facility. So once the steel molds are made, that's where we're looking at real cost now, aren't we? Yes, yes, that that's where most of the cost of making the action figure comes from. Were all the pull tests and things that got done in the States before the moles went over to the Far East? No, those would be done uh, in the Far East. They're first shots, they're not bench shots. As soon as the company started, the company would hook up the mold and then start using whatever plastic was in the machine at the time, which is why Kia is, you know, yellow and blue. And they're just testing to make sure that everything works properly uh, as it should. Then they'd number all the pieces to make sure that everything fit okay, and then they'd start sending back samples to, to Kenner. One of the stages in the process that fascinates me is the paint masking. It seems like an incredibly complex process, really, really fiddly. What's the time scale for a figure going in for the paint masking and for when it comes out and is dry? I think the paint masking doesn't take 
a whole lot of time. I mean, you can find video of people doing it in factories today. It's still done exactly that way. Uh, I, I would doubt it takes more than a few hours to paint a figure just because it's so regimented. It, it's done to such a science. Like it just, this station paints this character's eyes and they work up a tray of them and then it goes down the line and then the next, you know, girl paints her hair. And then they fill up a tray of them and it goes down the line. So it, it's not like time consuming in so forth as each figure only takes a couple seconds to paint. I mean, if you think about it, you just put the figure in there, close the little clamp to apply the paint mask, spray it, and then take the clamp off and it's done. It's just a matter of getting enough of them done to pass down the line. So I, I would think the entire process probably takes a couple of hours, but it's a matter of producing thousands of them that's the problem definitely a log jam where it's time consuming in so forth as you have to do it by hand for every single figure they tried to keep paint applications to a minimum like if you if you think back to the very start of the process that's why decisions were made early on to keep the costs down there and if you talk to designers the company is always trying to keep paint apps to a minimum because the more paint you have the more time and more money it's going to take to apply them was more care taken in the later waves of figures in the design stage to avoid issues such as what we saw with the Cantina aliens? I think since Kenner and Nelvana worked hand-in-hand hand on the droids and Ewoks figures, I think there were fewer mistakes. They weren't in quite such a rush, and Kenner definitely had a say in the process of creating the characters. They knew exactly what the characters would look like because they were getting the Nelvana art itself. Back when the line first started, I think Kenner came in just you know a couple months before the movie premiered. They were in such a rush to get those figures out that they didn't really have any say in it. I mean, they're making figures of characters that they have like one or two photos of. So I think, yes, it is definitely a different situation. I think Kenner also by then knew what they had in Star Wars. Like they knew this is going to sell if we make it. So we're going to put in a whole lot of effort to make sure that it's the best possible product we can make. Uh, they, the early stuff, I think they were in such a time crunch to get out that they just wanted to get it out. Just anything to make money off of this. What's interesting about these droids figures is the position of the figure and the cord had switched from the left to the right. I mean, what would the thinking be beyond that? I have no idea. I don't know why that decision was made. If you look at even like the, the earliest card backs, it's like that though. So I don't, I don't know exactly why they made that decision. I guess they just wanted to differentiate it a little, but it seems, it seems kind of weird. <laughs> I've got visions of some guy just saying, they are switching what to what and why? <laughs> <laughs> Nick, aren't the, aren't the G.I. Joe figures on that side? Yes, they are. It could be that they were trying to, like, emulate another successful line, maybe. Could be. Now, I don't want to talk too much about the coin process because you've extensively covered it in your article, and we probably will have some kind of follow-up to coins at some future show. But what I'm really intrigued about is the idea of where the coins initially came from, because surely the coins were expensive and therefore would eat into the profit margins? 
I think kind of realized that the movies were done and they needed something else to add value to the figures because you know, kids would move on. So one of the coin mints had come to Kenner and it said, we can make these coins and we think they would be really cool as a pack-in for the figures to add perceived value. So I think it did probably cut into Kenner's profit margin, but I think they were trying to create a selling point for the toy itself, which they didn't have as much faith in as they did for the Return of the Jedi figures, because that was based on a movie, and the Power of the Force line and the droids line were just hanging out there on their own. Were quality control samples sent to Kenner throughout the whole run of these figures? Yes, every certain number of figures, the vendor would send back a sample for Kenner's approval just to say, like, here's what they're looking like at the moment. And then Kenner would say, like, yeah, it's good, but you messed up this paint mask. Try not to do that anymore kind of thing. And now, with all the contours and measures that have been put in place, how come there were so many variants for some of the rare vintage figures? I think some things just slipped between the cracks, and I think sometimes... Kenner just didn't care, you know, well, you know, it really doesn't matter if it's a, you know, hollow tube uh, Tuscan or not, just because it's the same figure, who cares, We're, we need to get those figures out on the shelf because we make money either way. Um, I think quality control was generally fairly tight, I don't think there are too many, you know, miscards, things like that, but things like paint apps, because they're applied by hand, you're going to get mistakes. And because so many figures are being produced, there's going to be differences in paint. And to be honest, the vendor and Kenner, they don't care what color plastic is used, just so long as the figure looks the same. So if you want, like, molded legs, Han, that's probably just because that plastic was cheaper. Like, to mold it in that color and paint it this color, than to mold it in this color and paint it that color. It, it's, it's not a big deal to them. I mean, collectors would make a big deal of it, but that's just simple economics. Do you think collectors look too much into variants? Personally, I think sometimes people call just mistakes variants. Mm -hmm. I think it's just incompletely painted or they use the wrong color. I don't know that I would call that a variant. Personally, I consider variants to be like a deliberate decision made by Kenner. Like, we're going to do this from now on. Like there's a there's a quality control sample that shows that it was a deliberate decision on Kenner's part to include the trilogy 3PO coin on droids packages and to me that's like a variation because before people had just said well you know they're using overstock coins and it's a mistake but the quality control sample shows that it's a it's a deliberate decision but ultimately i think the definition of variations come down to the individual collector i think there are plenty of collectors who classify absolutely everything as a variation as long as it's different and there are some who just consider variations to be you know vinyl cape jawa and <laughs> You know, brown-haired Luke, and those are the those are the variations. One thing I'm really intrigued about is how did they get the punch for the hanger in the correct place? Now, was it a case of complex maths, or was it just a simple trial and error? What? So it would hang correctly, so or it would hang? I mean, I think the the Kia Mall that the the punch is quite far away to the right hand side, isn't it? I have no idea how they came up with that. I I would guess they probably tested it out on proof cards uh, and mock-ups just to see how it would work. But I'm not aware of anybody, like, talking to anyone in the carback design process to see if they were given production figures to work out 
the the math of how it would hang. I'm not really aware of any vintage figure that doesn't hang correctly, so I would imagine that they would have had to have some sort of calculation on how to go about doing that, but it, it's certainly over my head. I couldn't do that math. Finally then, Tommy, to wrap this interview up, from start to finish, how long was the process from the very, very first earliest sketch idea to the product appearing in the stores, typically? The script is dated October 18th, 84, and the quality control sample is dated 9985. Wow, that's, that's pretty fast turnaround, though. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit longer than that. I think the script, since it's a, a final draft script, it's closer to the final script. So I think the one of the earlier drafts was probably when Kenner got the news that they would be making a Kiamal figure. I think Nelvana did a, I'll say, second draft. Said, we're definitely having a character named Kiamal. This is definitely about what she'll look like. That's probably when Kenner started working on it. But essentially, you're talking about a year. Wow. So thank you very much for your time tonight, Tommy. I'd like to thank you for you know all the work you do for the SWCA blog. The articles on there are fantastic, and it's one of the greatest resources on the internet at the moment. I would love to have you on another time to discuss another one of your articles that you're going to put up. But personally, I think everything for you on the blog is going to be downhill from that article because I think you've hit, <laughs> you, there can't be anything better than that, surely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to come back. And i also like to give thanks to Matt George tonight because Matt contacted me once he realised I was talking to you and he's actually asked some of the questions tonight. So it just goes to show that a, a lot of people are really following um, the SWCA blog. <laughs> Thank you for having me. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Now I want to welcome Matt Fox to the show. Now, you are involved in an exhibition at the moment called May the Toys Be With You. That's right. I, um, I've always wanted to share my collection, and I, I sort of pitched the idea to the Beanie Museum in my home city of Canterbury. Um, you know, I said, I've got this Star Wars collection. Um, would you be interested? And, uh, you know, they, 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 they bit. They were, they, you know, they, they took a chance on it, really, but um, it's been fantastic. Um, they've smashed their own record visitor numbers. Uh, two and a half thousand people came along on, on the opening day of it. It is instantly beaten the, the Manet exhibition they had recently. So vintage Star Wars toys, we've beaten Manet. That's, that's how good vintage Star Wars toys are, yeah. So I'm really checked for the response to it, and um, it's a free exhibition, I might add. Um, I've donated my collection for free, too. So, uh, you know, doing something for uh, the local community, and, um, you know, it seems to be really resonating. Uh, you know, secretly, what I'm hoping is that we're creating some more vintage Star Wars hands. You know, you, know, you and I and, and, and the podcasters, we, you know, we know how good this hobby is and we know how enjoyable it is. So, uh, you know, it's fantastic to be able to share it and hopefully uh, make a few comments on the way. I take it it's not, it wasn't a coincidence of the release of this exhibition that it all kind of tied in with The Force Awakens and that build-up. Yeah, they did. They wanted to tie it in with the with the release of, of the film you know, for obvious reasons. Just sort of, you know, riding on the zeitgeist a little bit. It, it feels like this whole year that's just gone past has been sort of moving towards inexorably December, you know, with more and more coming out, the um, the teaser trailers and, and, and the full trailers, you know, everybody's just been getting so Star Wars out. It's been a banner year for Star Wars, and I think it's been a banner year for um, vintage Star Wars collecting in general. You know, we've had some really big finds, some really big auctions, you know, more people entering the hobby. And, you know, it's, it seems like our hobby is starting to get a little bit of respectability, dare I say. You know, Antiques Roadshow, things like that. You know, the BBC have been featuring stuff, um, you know, including the um, May the Toys Be With You. So it just seems like it's been a massive year. 
for Star Wars collecting in general. Um, yeah, and you know, it's going to be pretty easy to tie, tie in. If I, if I sort of do uh, take this exhibition to other places, and we've got a film coming up every single year, so there's going to be lots, <laughs> lots more opportunities to tie in as well. Yeah, very true. I was only saying last night that it's uh, only saying that it's very cool to be geek nowadays, isn't it? Ten years ago, it was a bit frowned upon. Yeah, I mean, I've 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 always sort of kept kept my collecting a little bit private, and I don't have anything displayed at home at all. I, you know, I don't have a collection room. I sort of live, live in a normal, uh, you know, semi-detached 1930s house with my family, two daughters and, and my wife. And, and you know, they probably don't really want Star Wars stuff everywhere. You know, and I'd be a bit worried about it being boshed about as well, um, like probably many collectors are, and a little bit precious about your things. So I had nothing on display here at all. Uh, and for me, being able to actually see it all, um, you know, in this beautiful gallery, uh, you know, all displayed out, you know, I, I would love to have that room in my house somewhere. That would be amazing to have all the, the cabinets with the lighting and, uh, you know, everything looking beautifully, acrylic stands and all of the stuff they have um, at the beanie. So that, that would be a dream, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> did did you help dress the room? Yeah, I did. I, I did it entirely, actually, Stuart. I, I, I did the whole um, the whole other arrangement. Here. It was actually a really really fun couple of days. It was it was proper. Get a chance to get your toys out and play with them. I was arranging them and you know strengthening boxes and you know they've got lots of display materials uh, and I, and I actually had some some good help from um, you know Christian the digitally acrylic stuff and Ian Hudson um you know probably some of the specialist stuff to you know make um things like the little uh, mailer for Boba Fett come in and uh, one of those those early bird cases I hadn't had one of those before I thought I'm going to get one for, for this exhibition um and also a couple of sort of unique um, figure stands to to make everything sort of you know look yeah, it was really brilliant. I didn't hang the posters and I didn't actually sort of, you know, uh, move any display cabinets around. That was all in there. But essentially, I had free reign to uh, to fill the cabinets and, uh, and to dress them how I wanted to. Yeah, it was beautifully clean display, isn't it? It's um, a real pleasure to walk around. Now, I, I went on Saturday, which is, I think it was the 9th of January, and that's been yes. out for about a, a month already, hadn't it? Point. Yes. Yeah, and I tell you what, we're still packed in there. Um, oh, that's brilliant. There. Constant flow. So, can you give us like an overview of exactly what's in there? Because I walked around there, and there's some stunning pieces in that room. Yeah, we've got um, we've got some sort of fun things for the kids. We've got kind of a dress-up area, and there's an area where they can sort of do some sort of colouring in and that sort of thing. There's a little kind of mini cinema room where there's quite an arty sort of video playing um, about collecting. We've also got some um, uh, some multimedia stuff playing, showing some of the old digital adverts and vintage footage of um, people at the cinemas uh, back in 1977, which is fun. Bizarrely, we have Peter Cushing's slippers. Peter Cushing, <laughs> Peter Cushing and Grandma Moff Tarkin had to wear these, you know, very big jack boots, and um, his feet uh, were not comfortable at all in them, so he asked George Lucas if he could wear slippers, and they shoot him from the waist up, um, and we actually have his slippers because uh, Cushing is a local man. He, uh, he, he lived in Whitstable, just up the road from Canterbury. But really, I mean, the meat of it is all the, uh, all, all the vintage toy line, and it is purely the vintage toy line. There's, there's nothing beyond, um, you know, 1985 in there. Um, we've got figures, we've got variants, uh, we've got. We haven't got the full collection because there wasn't enough space to fit it all in. But you know, I've chosen the the, the things that I think are the most interesting and the most iconic. You know, the Millennium Falcon, the X, the Tide Fighter, um, and, and along with a few sort of of, of the of the rarer pieces that, that perhaps some people haven't seen before. The other thing we've got, which is really great, um, which I, is an area collection that I've really got into over the last couple. of years is uh it's the posters you know the vintage star wars poster art is just so fantastic you know we're lucky in the uk that we have the court posters so 
all of our posters are horizontal, you know, rather than the, uh, the institutional style, which is, you know, the portrait vertical style. And I think it works much better. So we've got a full collection of uh, every vintage Star Wars poster, including, which is the most special thing. I don't know if you, if you had a chance to see Tom Bose's, um original artwork. I did. It was well, it just stood out, didn't it? I, beautiful yeah. poster. Yeah, that was that was probably the, 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 the most exciting item we've got in there. It's, it's the one item that I don't own. Uh, sadly, um, but Tom Bovey has really kindly um, uh, loaned it to us to have at the exhibition, and it's um, the painting he did in early 1977 for the international UK release of Star Wars. They were using the Hunter uh, Brand image prior to that, which they felt didn't really show the actors, and it wasn't a quite exciting match packed enough. So um, Gary Cook was keen to commission a new poster for the international campaign, and he came to, uh, to Tom Bovey and Tom Chanterell, um, both colleagues at the same agency, and they both had a go. And uh, as you know, Tom Chanterell's iconic Star Wars poster is the one that they chose, and uh, Tom Bovey is his version. Basically, just got put away in a drawer and forgotten about. And um, he's had it all these years, and uh, and I, I tracked it down, and. Uh, you know, asked him if he'd like to have it on show for the very first time, and um, he agreed. So we've got this amazing artwork done by a master in, in poster art. You know, it's there for everyone to see the actual original. So really excited to have that there. Yeah, I must admit it was a lo- lovely go around the posters. You just saying, oh, there's a run of figures and whatnot, but. There's some standard stuff in there. Burgundy cape bib and a burgundy cape squid head. For one thing, final cape Jowers. There's DT Luke's in there. there. There's one DT Luke. I, I've got an array of figures in there, which are basically I've, I've got. Uh, you know, they're all paired up. So I've got a complete figure line, and then next to next to each figure, we have sort of the doppelganger, um, which is basically the variant figure. And I've tried to choose the, the most interesting variant. So you know, as we said, we've got the we've got the regular Jower, and, and, and paired next to that in the cabinet is the vinyl cape Jower, and we've got the regular. Before Tudor and Pez next to that is the Burgundy Cape uh, Lily Lennon version. So um, it's basically a way that the public can kind of get into variants because it's spot the difference at its most basic level. Um, you know, kids can go along in the cabinet and go, oh, no, that one's different. Why is that one different to that one? Oh, I see, he's got a slightly different coloured boots or whatever it might be. So yeah, they can play sort of difference along that stretch. <laughs> yeah, it was nice going across there and seeing some of those variants. And obviously, You've got an early bird kit, which is in amazing condition in there as well, which is always nice to see. The, the other cabinet, which was uh, which I t- double took when I first saw it, was the non-produced customs cabinet, which was uh, quite interesting to look at. Thanks very much. That's, that again, I mean, something I, I've kind of got interested in, in in the last couple of years is is the customs and what would have happened if Kenner had continued the toy line for another wave. Um, you know, they, they they ended where they they did because there wasn't enough momentum from a new movie to to sort of continue things along. You know, there's there, there these sort of like tantalising hints, deep scenes, sketches and, and, and plans for what they would have done if um, Lucasfilm had sort of said, you know, okay, let's go for another year and let's, let's produce more toys. But um, even though they produced a lot of toys, you know, we're, we're a Richard Star Wars collector, so the idea, I mean, Mike has had another wave of figures, maybe another 15 figures and maybe another three or four vehicles in all cases fits. I, I, I've gathered together the, the research that I could find, and, um, and I've used people that are much more talented than me to sort of create these these custom versions. Hopefully, they're you know looking as they would have been if they had been produced back in 1985. I mean, they're vintage style. Yeah, I must admit, I, I found that cabinet quite interesting to go around, and uh, I'm hoping to get back over there in the next couple of weeks on my own, so spend a bit of time <laughs> looking at the stuff rather than being rushed around with the sun. 
Now, I recommend people go and look at this exhibition if you're anywhere near the area. It really was um, beautifully done. And obviously, weekend away in Canterbury. Canterbury's a beautiful city, isn't it? There's uh, so much to offer. Locally. Yeah, there's, lot of, there's lots of attractions. It's, not, it's a nice, you know, it's a lot, lot of medieval characters still to it. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a cathedral, obviously, but there's, there's some great restaurants, great pubs, um, you know. So um, it's a nice day out if anyone's in the area. And, Exhibition three, running till March the sixth. So yeah, I'll, I'll echo what you just said. You know, please do. Um, you know, come down and enjoy it. Why not? Sixth of March, you say it runs to. That's right. Yes. So it's got certainly got a good innings. And and how often do you pop in to see it? I've I've only been in at the start. Um, I'd like to sort of get, you know, kind of go in there and just sort of spy on Paul watching it. That'd be quite a fun thing to do. But I haven't done it yet. But I I I, I will do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you haven't got it on display at home, I thought you might be uh, in there all the time yeah. admiring it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Matt, it'd be good to get you on for a full interview to go through uh, some of what you collect and how you collect and whatnot in the uh, very near future, if you'd be up for that. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be fantastic. Love to. Well, thank you ever so much, Matt. It's, uh, thank you ever so much for your time. And uh, seriously, listeners, go and uh, have a gander at this. It really is stunning. Thank you, Stuart. Cheers. It's not uncommon for eBay to throw out some quite unusual and what we believed one-of-a-kind items out recently. But I think something that we've seen this year has really surprised a lot of people. And what we've actually seen is a salesman sample of a rocket-firing Boba Fett. Grant, you brought this one to our attention. Why do you think that one really grasped you? What's the importance of this iconic piece? Uh, well, I was, apparently it was common knowledge, but I never knew that there was a carded uh, toy fair sample of a rocket firing Boba Fett. I thought they were all loose. So I thought, yeah, people have been known this when I've seen this come up like 15 years ago, but totally new to me. So yeah, that kind of blew my mind a little bit. And the uh, the backing card as well, without the, the text about the rocket or whatever, totally different backing card there. Amazing. Yeah, I think this has changed hands three times from the research that I've found. It has been well known about. Yeah, Rich. Um, with regards to its history, I don't know who or, or how they went about doing it, but this was put together quite rapidly, I believe, for one of the toy fairs. This is what we're aiming to do. Is that right? Yes, it was. Um, I believe it was 1979. I'm not sure where the toy fair was, um, but there's a photo on the Star Wars Collector's Archive where they've got a corded Jawa, a Greedo, I think it's a Death Star droid, and uh, I think a Luke Skywalker as well, or a Stormy Tortatel with it, with the Flash. Um, there were a few photos of the first 12 and then the next figures to make up the 21. And then you've got the rocket firing Fett just at the back there, you know, no special attention to it. So, Pete, have you looked at this um, card and what do you think of it? Uh, a ridiculous amount of money, Rich, but someone was asking for it. Isn't it like a, was it £100,000 or something? Yeah, $150,000, yeah, that'd be about that. I mean, someone um, posted on one of the Facebook groups somewhere, I know um, Brian Jay, who met Anaheim, has been all over this, that it came up on a on a TV programme recently, but it also, I think, I think the guy who had it, I think he was trying to sell it years ago, for, but not particularly that different a price, so it hasn't really gone up in value. I think it's about 2008 or something. It was going around for, again, around about $100,000, £100,000 mark. So it's crazy. It's a yeah. crazy item. But, I mean, again, I had no idea uh, that this thing existed until Grant said, I have no idea this existed, which, you know, which is a surprise. So, Stu, as Peter just said, they're £100,000 for this item. I would imagine that you could probably get a rocket firing effect today for £15,000. I think you could prize one out of somebody's hands for that price. So would a bubble, because this FET's for all intents and purposes, it's loose, you can take the FET out and, um, you know, it's not sealed by any means. £85,000 for a bubble and that card back add up for you. If money was no object, it's a one-off item. So, yeah, yeah, if, if money was no object, you had that money.
Yeah. You really would. Because honestly, yeah. if I if I won the lottery, I would go and buy a rocket flying fet. I've got no doubt I'd get one. But I, I don't think I could, even if I won 100 million, I don't think I could justify spending 85,000 on that backing card. Uh, and I do understand. And I think I was having a conversation with Grant. I think it, it depends on your focus. What's more iconic? A one-off pre-production item or a very, very low number production item? Yeah, but I mean, some people, which uh, like football players, I mean, that's a weekly wage to them, isn't it? Uh, we've already had a very high-profile uh, rock stars and actors who collect Star Wars. I mean, this is the kind of item I could see someone with an extraordinary amount of money being able to purchase. And apparently the sale has ended on eBay, so I don't know whether it's been withdrawn or maybe it has actually sold. I believe that this was touted to Rick Springfield going back probably about a year and a dealer was almost in place but then he, he, he got uh, cold feet and he disappeared so perhaps now with it being put back out in the public eye he may have snapped it back up it would be nice to see a photograph of him holding that on Facebook The fact Rich that you could win 100 million on the lottery and you're still too tight to spend 100 grand <laughs> <laughs> You throw that away Rich You throw it away <laughs> any lemonade if you want blue milk yeah it's what where Gentilly's drinks where Gentilly's yeah and he said if I didn't drink lots of blue milk when I grow up I'd only be good enough to post on rebel scum rebel scum who are they exactly get off give me some get off Joining me tonight is a collector with one of the most extensive collections in the UK. 38 years in the making, our guest has amassed a collection of toys, books, set pieces, amongst many, many other things, and has a real passion for the vintage stationery. I'm delighted to welcome to the Vintage Rebellion, Craig Spivey. Good evening, Craig. Hello. And uh, to go through such a collection, who else better to do it with than our very own ball helix lover himself, Grant Criddle. Good evening, Grant. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Craig. Hello, mate. Now, Craig, you've had your fair share of press recently, and uh, one of the first things that struck me when I started looking into you was was your photos and how much you resemble Luke Skywalker. Um, <laughs> is this intentional or just coincidental? Not really, not really. You know, I'd love my beard to be dark brown, but it, it is a bit salt and pepper like uh, like Mr. Hamill's. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's where the similarity uh, begins and ends. Craig, you need to spend some time on Skellig Island and see what. <laughs> It looks cool. <laughs> I'd like to go. Do you have a robe? Yeah, I do have a robe. 
Definitely trying I went to be a patient last year in LA, and I thought if, if you're going to do that, you do it properly. So yeah, I got a rope. Why not? Right. So Craig, you know, you were fortunate enough to attend the premiere of The Force Awakens. Yeah. And if my information is correct, you also attended the after show party too. Yeah. Did yeah. I I got in. <laughs> how how did that come about? I have a very dear friend who who works in the movie industry. And he texted me that week and said, what are you doing on Wednesday? Um, because I've got some tickets and I can't go. So it was a bit touch and go. They were supposed to arrive through the post. So come Wednesday morning, I didn't know whether it was happening or not. So it was a bit kind of like, don't forget your toothbrush. And I was kind of packed. But I got a call about sort of mid-morning saying, y- you're in. Here's where you pick up the stuff. So I went down with my, uh, with my partner and uh, it, was, it was amazing. But the um, atmosphere was amazing, wasn't it, in the actual... It was, it was great, you know... Uh, Leicester Square was kind of blocked off, sort of three sides of it were red carpet. They were showing it in three screens. Because it was all a bit last minute, I didn't really know what was going on. So got the tickets and we were kind of waiting to go onto the red carpet. And you're kind of backstage, you know, so you can't really see what's going on. So all the people who've camped out overnight, they're getting to meet Harrison and and, and Mark Hamill and all the rest of it. And you're kind of stood behind some scenery, (laughs) listening to it all. And then you you get let in and, you know, they want you down... They want you down the carpet sharpish, do you know what I mean? They've got hundreds of people to sit into a cinema. Um, so you don't get long to, to dawdle and soak up the moment, but, you know, what there was was, was amazing. Uh, Craig, were they, so they were showing The Force Awakens in three screens in the Odeon? Yeah, they're, they're in the Empire, the Odeon, and the other one, which is, is The View, I think The View on the corner. All right, okay. Um, so we got, we got sat down and we weren't sure which screen we were in. You know, assumed that somewhere there'd be a kind of, you know, the the cast rocking up and waving to people. And we were sat, Bob I- Iger walked on um, and introduced George Lucas. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he kind of rocks up and then and then uh, introduces JJ and hands the mic over and then one by one they all kind of trot on stage and, yeah, I was in, this, I was in the same uh, screening as the, as all the, the stars, you know. It was great because, you know, when you're in a room like that and they're all there with their families and everybody else, as soon as, you know, all the key kind of characters came on the screen, there were cheers and it was, the atmosphere was just incredible. Wow. That was good. Was the premiere um, shown in 2D or 3D? It was in 2D. And the after show party, um It was at Tate Britain. So it's kind of kinda of down Pimlico Way. And we got a cab over there and, and kinda of went in and it was quite um it was quite a corporate do. It wasn't like it was quite formal in a way. A lot of people there comes clearly in the industry and a few people who clearly paid a lot of money to be there. Big old gallery, you know, laser show and all the rest of it and there were a few kind of props and costumes sort of just stood around, but it wasn't like overly branded or anything. I think Star Wars was written in lasers. And we were in there, milling around free cocktail bar, light side or dark side cocktails, which were incredible. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the more of those I had, the more sort of confident I was to kind of go and say hello to people and tell them what a great job I thought they'd done and have a few photos. So oh, yeah. they didn't seem to mind. I guess they're on duty. <laughs> I, I think we should, we'd have to point out to the listeners, as we're talking to you, Craig, on Skype, your photograph is you hugging uh, two fairly recognisable gentlemen. Uh, could you tell us who they are? Uh, it was JJ and, uh, uh, and Oscar Isaacs, um, <laughs> who came up while I was talking to JJ, so. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so cool. Double bubble. But they were all incredibly, uh, kind of generous and, you know, humble. We were there just telling them that we thought they'd done a great job on the movie and, and they kind of seemed very receptive to what we had to say, you know. It's a big night for them and they seemed to be having a good time and, 
you know, we're chatting, chatting to people. And well, what time did you stay until? I think they started. It started to thin out at one o'clock, so we, we were kind of dawdling around. I was, I was the only person taking lots of close-up photos <laughs> of all the <laughs> costumes, and things that are out. So yeah, we probably kind of got out about two o'clock. Oh, that's amazing. That is so cool. It was. It was. I mean, being a, a lifelong Star Wars fan, and you know, my, my mate could have given that ticket to anybody. Yeah, he could have furthered his career. He could have made somebody's day. And he made mine. You know, brilliant. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd be able to contain myself then. <laughs> I might have actually got arrested or something or just had a proper meltdown. Yeah, a little bit of weed came out. <laughs> Go on, that's a problem on a day-to-day basis. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did you actually think of the film then, Craig? I loved it. I, I mean, you know, I was admittedly geed along by that environment and, and experiencing it in that way was, was an event in itself. I booked to go and see it with my three boys the kind of night after anyway so we were there sort of first showing after they finished school on the Thursday and that was great as well to go and see it with you know the next generation and you know it, it held up the second time you know I think uh, I'm on my third showing now I went a couple of weeks ago with with my mum and dad so uh, he, he took me to see you know New Hope in 78 and the Doncaster Gormont and uh, so that was nice as well so every time I've been it's been a bit of an occasion but I mean the movie itself I loved it you know people can pick faults with little bits and pieces but on the whole it's they did a great job I'm so in love with this movie it's unreal yeah and I think they made some kind of brave non-Hollywood choices I like the fact that Leah and Han were estranged you know I don't think it was as by the book as some people are making out uh, yeah I totally agree have you got any uh, major favourite character there I thought Kylo was I thought Kylo Ren was a good was a good character I think he got more interesting once he took the took the helmet off I think you know the father-son dynamic is is interesting to you know blokes who have kids um, I, I think that was a, a, a kind of a good thread I enjoyed that um, but you kind of walk out of there and you suddenly care for all those new people and it's quite deftly handled you know you suddenly got a whole new people a whole new group of people that you kind of want to see what happens next and you give a shit about you know what are your thoughts on Ray's parentage there's a lot of gossip going around like like everybody I've read the I've read the, the speculation and the theories I, I don't think there's anything wrong if she just happens to be somebody else you know it's it's every, not everybody has to be related and connected though you know, clearly that's what they're all that's what uh, it's alluding to yeah, I, I quite like the idea that she's a Kenobi somewhere along the line I think that's uh, quite interesting it, it feels too obvious for, to, for her to be a Skywalker but you know I guess we'll see obviously you, you're, you're a large collector do you go down the Force Awakens merchandise at all? I kind of resist I bought um, I bought the BB-8 the, the Sphero BB-8 on Force Friday because I just couldn't stand there and watch the world get giddy and, and not join in um, so I bought the BB-8 which is which is fantastic. Since the movie, I kind of went and bought the uh, the Disney Elite series. Yes. I kind of like those. There's something I think it's their diecast. They're, they're a, there's a sort of something that's a bit toy soldiery about them, and you know I think they've done a good job with those. So I've, I kind of went and put those on. But that, you know, it might not end there. <laughs> so a big a big thumbs up for the movie generally for me then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Moving on a bit then now. Recently, you've been in the news a fair bit. Uh, found a couple of newspaper articles. Yeah, that all happened the same week. Oh, did it? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. The, the, yeah, the local paper came and took a load of photos on the Tuesday and I was out there on the Wednesday. Yeah. So it what, was all a bit blur. What made them come and approach you? It was Helix, or rather Helix's PR company. They sort of relatively active on, on Twitter. And I followed Helix 
I've, I mean, I've tried to get in touch with them a couple of times over the years, uh, and they they tweeted a picture of an old math set. I think they'd been trying to find the oldest Oxford math set, and they tweeted this picture saying, check out our old, our cool old math set. I tweeted a picture of my Star Wars math set. It's, it's all right. It's, it's quite cool. It's not as cool as this one. And they kind of got back straight away, and I don't think they realised, or certainly the, the PR company who were working with Helix had realised that they had the Star Wars licence. So I showed them a few more pictures. We got chatting. They tweeted a few sort of pics of the collection. And I said to them, look, you know, the film's... This was sort of going back a few months. I said, look, the film's coming out soon. If you want to use it for any promotions or stuff like that, you know, feel free. And kind of they went away and I didn't hear anything for, for ages. And then they kind of, quite out of the blue, sort of got back in touch and said, you know, we, we want to do something with this. But we're not sure what. So I kind of helped them put a bit of a press release together because I think their their knowledge had sort of been lost in the midst of time a little bit. They put this press release together, sent it out to some sort of publications and a few people picked up on it, sort of mainly local people. I think that week, you know, pick up any kind of media and uh, the world and his wife were all kind of showing off their Star Wars collection. So I don't think it was unique, but it was quite nice, you know. Nothing better than talking about Star Wars, eh? Yeah, it was good, you know. It's just, you know, for years and years kind of hiding away, you know, and, and, and there was a, 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 a period in my life we didn't really talk about these things. Um uh, and suddenly everybody wanted to know you. <laughs> it's quite interesting, you know. Yeah, it's suddenly, yeah. suddenly cool to be a geek, isn't it? Kind of a yeah. <laughs> moment. Yeah, it's quite the rage. It's a one week only. It was quite fun. Now moving on to your collection, let's go back to your childhood. What are your earliest memories of the movies and the toys, etc.? And I think my uh, I was chatting to uh, Craig Stevens, who I know you've had on previous episodes about his book. We were talking about sort of earliest Star Wars memories, and I think mine was seeing sort of the clip on screen test. Uh, would have been the first time I ever saw uh, any kind of Star Wars sort of footage. Uh, I remember it sort of captivated me then, and I must have been yeah, six or seven years old. So I did I did all the movies at the time, you know, in the right order with all the, the appropriate gaps. You know, I was on that journey. You know, when when the toys hit, it was just great. You know, I remember I very very clearly remember buying Chewbacca on holiday in Bridgewater in a department store. I remember seeing all that stuff on the shelves. Yeah, that, I was hooked, and and it kind of stuck with me for a long time. There was a there was a break around. You know, between 13 and I'm kind of 17, 18, where I kind of put put everything away, but I never got rid of it. So you, you said you took a break at about 13. What what made you go back into it? I found a Lando Skithgard and an Emperor figure in in an Oxfam shop in Coventry where I was studying, and I vaguely remembered them being out, um, but I'd sort of tailed off by the end of the uh, the uh, the Jedi line. So I kind of bought them. I thought, oh, I guess you just get the rest. Um, <laughs> And so the next time I was home visiting parents, everything came down out of the loft. Uh, and I was suddenly a collector, you know. Uh, toy fairs were uh, happening. Uh, you know, you'd get all the toy and train people, and but there'd be a couple of tables of Star Wars generally. And it was still quite affordable then. Things would still turn up at boot fairs as well. Uh, Craig, if you could just um, uh, take us back to that period, because obviously this is... Uh, around about what time was this? Was this in... Was 80, 89, 90... Ah, okay, so pre-internet, totally different. What were your memories of that? Was it easy to come across Star Wars Vintage then? It was relatively. There was still, there'd still be dead stock around. I remember buying a whole box of uh, Reyes and Law Grace um, for 25p each. Uh, and I used them as, as kind of currency, so I'd, <laughs> I'd take them with me uh, round to toy fairs and swap meets um, and kind of took the, the swap bit literally would sort of trade, you know, a couple of crap figures for a good figure and uh, four figures for uh, a droid factory, things like that. You know, things were 
things were around. You know, I bought a really nice X-Wing from a car boot sale. Um, and the prices, it, it's all relative, isn't it? I remember sort of the last 17 going for five quid and going, it's a bit steep for an old figure, isn't it? Five quid, you know, in a little bag. Um, <laughs> So you'd kind of buy the cheap ones first, but I guess that's lots of people's story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Was there many, was there many boxed and carded uh, figures available? I remember seeing quite, you know, quite a few sort of uh, carded um, stuff around. Um, but I was, I was quite focused on the box stuff uh, at the time. It had more appeal. I don't know, it was, big, it was bigger, and it was the stuff I didn't have as a kid. So I would, I would sort of chase after sort of more of the, the, the vehicles and things. I do remember there was a time my my mum and dad went on holiday, so. It was, you know, I was kind of old enough not to go on holiday with them anymore. And they came back and they said, "Oh, I met this uh, met this this chap on holiday. He used to work at Palatoy." <laughs> I said, "You kidding me?" No, oh, no, no. He said, "He's got a wardrobe full of Star Wars stuff." So he says, "You can have it, really." And he, like mums and dads, always come back from holiday. They've always met another couple, and you know, we'll meet up with them for another drink. They never do. So I'm absolutely mad keen that they stayed in touch with this couple, and and you know, they they kind of went through on this promise. I'm sure if they did, they did go out for a drink with them one night and. You know, uh, came back and he said, oh, I thought I had more than I did, but you can have this. And there was a, a, a blaster pistol, a hand solo blaster pistol that was kind of shrink wrapped in its outer carton. Um, and I think it was a wicked toothbrush and a few figures, a couple of carded figures. And, you know, I don't imagine he'd give that stuff away now. So back then it was just, it was just his junk, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, cool. That's amazing. What was the, um, what was sort of like the collecting attitude at those times towards Star Wars? Um, you could tell it was it was growing, um, and you'd get you'd get younger people doing it. So you'd go to these kind of antique kind of toy fair things, and there'd be all, like I say, old blokes with their trains and dinky toys, and then there'd always you know there'd, there'd invariably be a couple of younger guys sort of selling some some old Star Wars stuff and, and Doctor Who stuff, and you know you could tell it was on the rise. Um, I used to go to memorabilia when it was just memorabilia at the NEC, yeah, and before it sort of turned into the big kind of comic-con behemoth that it is now and that was great you know that was all that was so much sort of vintage stuff there i think people had got their head around it and it was they would bring their stuff and it would sell and clearly uh, a busy trade so as as your collection can you give us an overview of exactly what is in it okay <laughs> i don't <laughs> um, mean list everything but you know well, I, you know, like everybody the, the primary focus has been you know the three and three quarter inch figures and uh, you know, sundry uh, accessories, vehicles, um, playsets. So that was always kind of the the stuff I had as a kid, the stuff I liked. And I think over the years, for me, it, it got a little bit overexposed somehow. It's what all the books were written about. It's what everybody kind of talked about. Um, and the prices would you know would, would climb and climb and climb. And I think I got at some point kind of in the late nineties or kind of you know early 2000s i kind of started to veer towards some of the sort of quirkier stuff um that was the stuff i remember having as a kid and i think you know what what a lot of sort of young people don't realize we weren't out there buying action figures and millennium falcons every week you know that was that was christmases and birthdays and the day-to-day star wars stuff was the stuff you bought from the news agents so you, you know your tree bore shoes and your your letter set sort of transfer kits and and, and stuff like that and and that stuff, not only did it hold a massive amount of nostalgia for me personally, but the artwork is just beautiful. I'm a sort of graphic designer by trade, and, you know, so that's it's got an extra appeal because it was kind of the stuff I used to... I used to have the exercise books full of little epic space battles drawn in Biro and things. So there was a sort of personal... Uh, connection to it but just bags and bags of charm and i think at the time it was a little bit 
on the sideline wasn't kind of what people went for. So it was still kind of get-at-able. But obviously in recent years it's it's got a little bit more kind of popular. Have you have you found, Craig, that uh, a lot of the, well, it's now termed oddball stuff, that market's kind of dried up a lot. There isn't as many, you know, razors and pencil sharpeners and all that kind of stuff and poster sets, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't seem to be as readily available as it was, say, 10 or 15 years ago. No, I, I absolutely agree. But I guess it's the stuff that people chucked out, isn't it? I think the stuff that's, that's still around largely is kind of dead stock that's kind of sat around in the back of shops and things. Yeah, the packet styles felt tips. You used them and you chucked them away, didn't you? So, yep, unfortunately, it's uh, it, it's it's rarer pound for pound than than vinyl cake jade hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, did uh, did you ever sort of? As, I know a lot of uh, collectors, myself included, in the nineties as well, get caught up with the power of the force too, and oh, massively. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember seeing them and being disappointed with all the kind of He-Man humans. But I did buy a few. I did buy Vader and Boba Fett and the, the droids. They weren't as bad. But I wasn't going to go there. I wasn't going to touch it at all. And then local Woolworths had a sale. <laughs> and we were virtually giving them away at that, oh, at those prices. So I kind of bought a load. And then, you know, it, it kind of snowballed from there. So there was a period where I would run around with my mate and we'd, we'd just snap it all up. But it's, it's, it's long gone now. <laughs> I've sold it on. You don't ever get any like nostalgia towards that kind of item, then? Not really. Um, I mean, there's bits and pieces in the collection still because they they relate directly to the prop I own, but not really. No, I was. I mean, I was a grown up when that stuff was out. It was only ever sort of collected as a as an adult. I didn't really get them out. I mean, got a few of them out and stood them on desks and things, but. There's no sort of special magic with them, uh, and then obviously as time's gone on, characters that they that they never created the first time around have been made and made and made again, and that that sort of stuff that's fallen kind of in that mid period is doesn't hold a lot of kind of appeal or magic really. Although that said, I did and I have sort of collected all of the expanded universe from that era, and I've read everything. So I have been on the uh, you know on the Star Wars journey throughout the now, the nineties and right up to now. You're you're a big fan of the expanded universe. Yeah, I, I got into it, you know, and again, I got into it when it was get in the ball. It became massively sprawling and, and kind of quite inaccessible, I think. But I, I, I didn't, when it first came out, I read Head to the Empire and kind of got into those. Um, but then they started to come very thick and fast. They seemed to be trotting out novels left, right and centre. And I thought, well, I, can't, I can't keep up with this. And I think they released, was it the, um, uh, the CD-ROMs? Ah, uh, Behind the Magic. That's the one, yeah, Behind the Magic. And there was a quiz section in there. I was asking questions about some of the background aliens. And I was like, oh, I can do this. I know all about Star Wars. And I played the quiz, and they were asking, because I don't know any of these. And it kind of dawned on me that people were out there taking the Expanded Universe seriously. And that's kind of what made me look at it again um, and, and start to follow some of the stories. And the completest in me kind of read everything, pretty much everything. So was you a bit put out when they then announced that none of it was canon? A bit, but I, I, I completely understand why they couldn't have navigated those ridiculous, you know, convoluted uh, timelines and, and elements of canon. But I enjoyed them for what they were, you know. And I can see themes. I can see themes that were in the books that are in um, that are in the Force Awakens. That you know, any, any kind of writer sitting down with that cast of characters and, and the, the tra- trajectories they were on would probably explore. So. Um, yeah, but yeah, for my sins, I read lots of Star Wars novels. If you had to recommend one, I really liked I Jedi. I think that was that was great, sort of written in the first person. That was a good, that was a good book. You know, for every kind of good one you read, there'd be five kind of average ones. But 
tenacity for you, dedication to the cause. Now, obviously, you've already alluded to it briefly earlier, but you do have a, a prop item, um, part of the Millennium yeah. Falcon. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, um, it, for my kind of 40th birthday, a couple of years ago now, uh, my my boss, I, I've worked with him for a long time. You know, did did my did a did a grand 40th birthday sort of gift. Uh, as, as a gesture um, and we were in the pub and he kind of slid this piece of paper over uh, over the the, the the table we were sat at he said it's on order but um, hasn't arrived yet and I kind of picked it up thank you very much you know <laughs> picked up this piece of paper and it had a a printout from the from some site of, of a kind of Star Wars one sheet signed by the cast I went wow that's that's amazing, you know. I put it away and we kept on drinking. And I got up in the morning and got this kind of thing out, and, and it had Alec Guinness on there, and it had Peter Cushion on there. And I was thinking, if this was real, this, this would be proper Sotheby's spec. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I kind of did a big bit of digging around, and it had the the URL sort of at the bottom. And I discovered that this company was well known for fakes <laughs> and, and dodgy autographs and all the rest of it. And I was kind of stuck with this dilemma as to kind of whether whether I tell him and, and look and grateful, or whether I you know because I wouldn't want him to be ripped off, you know, to let him know that I've discovered this, so he could you know maybe stop the credit card payment in time and. and Make sure he didn't lose any money, and I elected to do the the, the latter. Um, and I said, "Look, you know, really, this is this is great, but something about it didn't quite ring true. So, you know, I'm sorry to tell you that it's probably a bit dodgy." And, and he took it really well. But then he sent me a link later on to the prop store and said, "Just pick what you want." <laughs> uh, so there wasn't a lot of Star Wars on there. There were a few sort of production pieces, uh, you know, bits of storyboards and stuff. The only sort of physical thing was uh, what they described as a as a, a kind of prop grill or a panel that was uh, used on the floor of the Millennium Falcon uh, and also the, the scene uh, in the detention cell where you know you see the light shining through and that classic photo of kind of Vader and, and Leah and uh, I thought oh, that, that, that looks like the best bit so um, he went okay so we'll have that instead of the poster and it arrived and it's like a massive chunk of kind of plastic that's been sprayed kind of metallic silver and flaked off over time but it's such an iconic piece of kind of set and once you start noticing this particular bit of kind of grill you see it all over you see it all over the trilogy um it's in every single movie uh it's in alien it's in aliens in doctor who and they were basically forklift panel pallets um you can see the sizes kind of holds the forklift to go through so they were kind of readily available uh and they were used by sort of the set dressers to create this kind of very industrial looking kind of sci-fi environment modular you know you could shift them around they were plastic they were quiet they didn't use footprints uh, they didn't sort of you know make a lot of echoey uh, footstep noises that picked up on the on the mics uh and this came from a prop hire company that kind of had these for star wars and and presumably they kind of went backwards and forwards between productions and it's got such a massive amount of history you know i became quite nerdy about it as you can tell that's a brilliant piece of iron isn't it and obviously a great backstory as well it's great and it's informed part of the collecting so now i kind of go after anything that's kind of got it in the shot so <laughs> oh right interesting which is just the nerdiest thing isn't it it really is um so you think about things like the you know the 12 inch vintage stormtrooper and that image of the, the classic kind of hexagonal corridor with the the floor that's orange and it's lit from below that's that material so anything where it's kind of been reproduced um or it's in an image or it's fair game for my crazy little sub collection how, how have you got that display? I've got it. It's uh, it's on a couple of bookcases. Uh, so Habitat did some little kind of floor-standing bookcases uh, that you could stack up. 
which um, kind of lift it above kind of floor height and it sits there with a few bits and bobs around it. It is my ambition to make it into a coffee table, which I will do one day. <laughs> Encase it in glass. That's yeah. so cool. Um, Craig, is prop something that you'd be interested in collecting? Um, I'd love to, but it's just not in my price range. <laughs> I leave that to someone else. Uh, this very random little piece of background scenery has given me so much joy. <laughs> I'm kind of, uh, you know, I'm happy with that. You know, it's a collection of one item. But what I have done over the years is I've been through sort of all the movies it's been in. I've got sort of screen captures and, and uh, you know, reference material that I've amassed and put all on. It's all online. It's all out there. Because as far as I'm concerned, any one of them could be mine. <laughs> Amazing. Never know which one exactly. Do you know what I mean? So they're all fair game. But there's a, there's a website. I, I kind of put a Flickr site together. Um, and it's the, the name of it is Prop Panel. So if you Google Star Wars prop panel, invariably it comes up. But there's there's a kind of load of art, al- albums on there that kind of show all the places that this this curious thing has been used. It's quite a bit of you know, it's quite a significant piece of movie history. And Craig, I notice as well if you type in Star Wars collection or Star Wars, especially Star Wars Helix collection, uh, you come up in Google straight away as well. <laughs> Well, it's funny how that all works, isn't it? I remember kind of hiding my collection away for years, you know, it wasn't really the done thing that we, we kind of show these things off, and I kind of had a flicker site back when that was probably the only kind of way you showed off your pictures online, and, you know, I think I was amongst pict- arty pictures of, you know, graffiti and, you know, rain and things like that, you know, there were a couple of Star Wars pictures, and, you know, they got a lot of attention, and I think within, you know, six months they kind of sat there, and then somebody in the States blogged uh, a couple of shots. I think it was Club Jade. And then within a week, StarWars.com had put them on there. And, uh, you know, I got into conversation with, with Pete Pete Vilma, and it prompted him to go into their archives and, and dig the original Helix kind of license reference out of their, their albums. So, and he put that online. So I'm not sure if it's still there. I think I sent you that one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you sent you sent us that. I used it for a, a presentation, and there's right, yeah. loads of crazy stuff on there that I'd never seen before. Yeah, so it's you know, I guess you just to put yourself out there, don't you? And things happen. I did, I did notice as well because I've you know collect the Helix stuff myself, and I put my little collection together, and I thought that looks really nice, and then I found yours online and thought that's displayed a lot better. You've got the HC Ford as well, which is sort of like the Return of the Jedi British yes. stationery as well underneath it. And I was like, no, that looks way better than what I've done. <laughs> Now, the stationery is clearly a massive passion for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. What is it about the stationery? Um, I think it's, uh, you know, like I said, it's a, it's, a co- it's, it's a kind of, it's a combination of, of how it looks physically and, and how sort of beautiful, particularly some of the, the illustrative work is. Um, but also it's, it's what I remember from my everyday Star Wars. You know, it's the stuff that I would encounter on my way to school or, you know, it's the stuff that would be on the back of the Shreddies box. And I think when you're, when you're a kid, you know, that stuff, you soak that stuff up. You've got a lot of time to sit there and, and look at it and, and work on it. And it's kind of ingrained in me. I think the, the Helix stuff particularly is, it's just, it's just stunning. It's just beautiful. It's kind of half photographic and half illustrative. And, and, and the illustrations are so kind of naive. It's almost like somebody is, you know, shown whoever drew them a picture of Han Solo and came back the next week. So remember that, remember that picture I showed you last week? Can you, can you draw that again? Uh, it's, it's, they're sort of somehow half remembered. I think there's the, uh, the, on the, the eraser, on the Helix eraser, the, the, uh, the Darth Vader, he's got dials on his, on his chest plate, like steampunk dials, it's like, you know, like a speedometer. So it's a kind of, 
it's in the right spirit, but it's not movie accurate. And I, th- I think that you know uh, appeals massively. It's very quirky. It's slightly kitsch. It's very of its time, and uh, I think it makes a very interesting kind of pieces. I mean, the, the pencil sharpeners almost sort of reached iconic status. I think you know, it, it featured in Sam Sweet's book in the nineties, and I think that's got a lot to do with it. But you know, there's this, this company trotting stationery out in the black country in the UK. They made little globes, you know, little, you know, globes of, of, of earth, you know, green ones and blue ones, and they started making these uh, these these Death Stars. You know, they got the Star Wars license, and, and, and rather than go, well, it's really boring, isn't it? It's just a big grey circle with a dot in it. You know, they, somebody took the initiative. Well, I'll put a bit of colour on it. <laughs> it looked good, <laughs> and we, you know, we're left with this relic of the seventies. It's like a disco ball. I think as well, it's the only three uh, D representation of the Death Star, isn't it, from the vintage line? Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think it, the next one I can remember was probably those sort of Kentucky Fried Chicken things that came out in the 90s. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Greg, I'm really interested in the Helix stuff myself, and I know we've we've discussed it before. Yeah. What I found with the Helix stuff, I mean, a lot of the stuff is pretty hard to find. Uh, would you agree that, for example, with the pencil cases, the, the coloured ones seem more difficult to come across than the white ones, especially the Stormtrooper? Absolutely, yeah. They were the, the first ones I picked up were were the white ones, uh, and I think my last one was probably R two D two. But yeah, they they certainly didn't come around as often. Yeah, for for me, I mean, a lot of the the stuff that you could actually pick up, like you know, the pencils or the rulers, even the pencil cases or the math set, they 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 do actually come online. Even the pencil sharpener, you can buy it varying prices from £80 to £250. You can get them on eBay. The thing that really captivates me is the store displays. Some of the store displays, I know the the ones which were the Darth Vader and Stormtrooper uh, rubber uh, pencil tops, like you you can pretty much find that store display, but... Some of them I've hardly ever seen any examples of. For example, the Death Star sharpener we're discussing, the shop display for that. I've only ever seen one example of that turn up. Have you ever had issues finding these displays? They're mythical beasts, aren't they? I mean, like you hear you hear that they sit in people's collections, um, but they don't they don't come around. I mean, I was lucky enough to get my hand on a pencil uh, a pencil pot in the last couple of years. Um, I've had my ruler pot for a while, but I've never seen. You know, the, I've got the erasers, uh, but I've never seen things like the, you know, the, the sharpener display or the, the pencil cases. Or the, well, what really interested me is, um, you know, the Marvel comic, the UK Marvel comic that came yeah. out in 1978. Uh, they were really pushing the Helix stuff very early on in the first couple issues. I've managed to find photographs or evidence, you know, some of the stuff that you sent me from the Lucasfilm archives, yeah. things like the. Um, the vinyl pencil case shop display exists, yeah. and but I've never found any example of the tin C-3PO and R2-D2 mass set shop display that's in the advert in the Marvel comics. Have you ever come across that? No, no, not at all. So I that, imagine that's quite a big thing. Yeah, I mean, that, that advert, the black and white advert, is the only evidence I've ever found that that thing actually existed. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the same, you know, it's, it's, it might be out there. I mean, interesting, a lot of this stuff came from states. Uh, I think they had quite a, a good sort of supply of it that had gone over for approval or had gone over samples. Um, certainly some of the stuff I've bought has come back to the UK. Uh, and I know a few years ago at the celebrations, they, they had an auction 
uh, where some of this kind of got uh, released into the wild. But you know, I know through my conversations with Helix uh, that they don't have, they're not sitting on a warehouse of this stuff, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the day where someone goes pulls up, <laughs> pulls up to their attic and finds that mass set shop display and chucks that on eBay. I'd love to see the, the sort of uh, what yeah. money that would make. Crazy money. Yeah, because a lot of people. I mean, you know, like you, you brought up the vinyl cape driver yourself, and the, you know, a lot of the prototypes are very popular today. But some of the Helix stuff is far, far rarer. It is, it is. Yeah, and I, I think there are some collectors who scratch their heads, and others who completely get it. Uh, you know, some of the some of the prices that it's, it's reached recently, and it was that so the pencil, no, the, the felt tip packet with, with the, the head, the, the sort of little insert card in the front, and there was one one felt tip left in it, and it was what was three hundred quid. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I've seen um, not the actual Jawa pens, uh, uh, pens themselves. The, the the Jawa card is gone. All it is is the used felt pens, and it went for 185 pounds for about three or four of them, and they yeah. were totally used. I mean, this is something that was found in the bottom of a pencil case or something like that. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I've got uh, I've got the I've got the insert, and I've got and I've got five pens from the from the five pack, but I haven't got the. The wallet, you know, the plastic wallet. So occasionally I'll Google, you know, strawberry shortcake pens or Charlie Brown pens, or, you know, stuff that was around at the time, hoping that you know, I packed in the same stuff. But you know, no one keeps that stuff. You no. know, let alone put it on eBay. Do you do you have any ideas why the um, the you know the Darth Vader sort of rubber eraser pencil top displays? Why there are so many of them that seem to have survived? So- it's a good question. I don't I don't know. They all look quite used. Um, the ones I've seen, they're, they're kind of a bit you know, bashed around the edges. So I imagine they've been singularly in distribution. They're, they're not; they haven't come all out of a you know a nice minty box. Mm. Um, so I don't know. It's a very, it's a very good question. It just seems really bizarre that every other you know, shop display is, you know, except for maybe the, the the pen and pencil pots or whatever, seem to exist in quantities of one or two. And then this one. You know, you could you could probably find one on eBay today. True enough. I, I, I know the um, you know the Clearo. Uh, the soap. Yeah, uh, I, I know that they all the uh, all of the, um, the the store displays in circulation regarding that particular line apparently all came from the same place. Um, back room find in a shop in Hull or something. Ah, right, okay. Because clearly they did the the soap, didn't they? The, yeah, the, the British of the C three PO RTD right. type rule. Um, yeah, I, I, it, there's one of those on eBay at the moment. I still yeah. haven't actually uh, uh, picked one up yet. It's a, you know, a cracking piece, but that's another strange one where. You know, it's kind of like buses where you don't see one at all for like a year or two and then three come along at the same time. It, it, it crops up, I think. The, the, the soap stuff crops up a lot more than, than the sort of Helix. And we're suggesting the, the, the British the new soap. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> there was a lot of competition at the time, I remember. You know, there was Campbell Wheat Green Soap, Pasty the Lion Soap. I remember all that. It was all made by the same company. Yeah. <laughs> The um, yeah, I, can't, I couldn't actually find. I think uh, Cairo are now gone. I think they have. Yeah, yeah. There's very few of the, the licensees still around. I mean, uh, interesting trying to you know speak to Helix recently. You know, I think there's two people uh, who are still there um, from the time that it was it was it, they had the license. And I'd, I'd like to go back and sort of ask them a few more questions. I know that when they got the license, they all got taken to see the film, and that you know they were kind of quite ahead of the curve having that license in the UK and the, the story is that they they went to the Harrogate Toy Fair uh, or Harrogate you know, Spring Fair whatever it is and they had people queuing 
to kind of make orders with the stuff. So it was clearly kind of, you know, the hype was there and they were there at the right time. Yeah, one of the, um, you know, another popular item for the time that I know you're interested in is the British Letra set, uh, transfer, mm. Robon transfer set. Yep. Did you have those when you, when you were younger? I did, yeah. Yeah. I had the, the big sets, I think, more than the little ones. They were the, they were the earlier ones. Um, but they sold those in the newsagents sort of down from my house. And, uh, I used to kind of spend my pocket money on those and quite fastidiously, you know, made them look as, as good as they could, you know, and had them all in the proper perspectives and, you know, made sure the blaster marks lined up with, with yeah. pointing their guns and things like that. And I really, really, very, very clearly remember the kind of shreddies, uh, boxes. Because you'd sit there with them in front of you while you get your breakfast, you know, and you'd just soak that stuff up. Yeah, they, they massively, massively kind of appeal to me. And again, the art is just stunning. Well, we, you know, we had uh, Craig Stevens on uh, a couple of months back. We're going to have yeah. him on again in the future. And he was saying that uh, he brought up an interesting point that this was the only access to the film because the film would be in the cinema. And if it wasn't in the cinema, there was no video. Yeah. You know, this was this was your access, and you know the lecture sets basically worked as the closest you'd get to watching the film. Yeah, yeah, you you were kind of reliving it. I th- I'd say, you know, doing that stuff and the handful of figures I had, and the the Marvel adaptation in the annual. You know, that was I used to read that so often <laughs> to the point where when when I first saw Star Wars again, I'd kind of remembered the lines from the comic and not from the movie. Um, you know, that was, yeah, that was that was the way you kind of got into it again and lost yourself. He carried on, you know. He Craig really knows his stuff, and he, oh, he does have the um, like the wall sausages and you know the marshmallows that come out. Can you remember a lot of the confectionery that was coming out at the time? I don't remember the marshmallows. I remember the tree chews. There was a shop kind of at the other end of the village that I grew up in, so you'd have to get on your bike and and go. Uh, and they were slightly more expensive, you know. Your ten p didn't go quite so far. Yeah. Uh, but they had Star Wars on them, so... But, uh, <laughs> we, we were discussing this when we were recording the podcast last night. Can you remember the... I can't remember the name of them. They were Beef Burger Flavoured Space... KP Space oh, Crisps. Out of Spaces. Out of Spaces, with the yeah, Paddy Toy... Uh, kite. kite offer. Yeah, yeah, I saved up my packets and sent for the kites. Really? Have you still... Yeah. No, I haven't got it. It was basically a big crisp packet with some support. I mean, it was really rubbish. It's polythene. And I don't remember it lasting much much beyond its kind of maiden flight, really. Um, <laughs> but I did have one. I did save up my packets. And, uh, you were talking about the tree balls as well. And one thing that you have in your collection, which has always been in my top ten, I think, for the last 20 years, is the beautiful Empire Strikes Back uh, Darth Vader Cloud City shop display for the, uh, was it the 2P tree ball shoes? Yeah. Yeah. How did you come across that? I, I, I bought something from somebody off eBay, and, and as often happens, you get into a conversation, you know, what else have you got? Uh, and it was just something else they had, and did you want this? I'd not seen it either. I don't, I don't remember the, the, the Empire shoes at all. I remember the Star Wars ones. But it's just, it's one-off, isn't it? I mean, I don't know when it was made in kind of 79-80, but it looks, it's, it's one of those Photoshop-style montages done without Photoshop. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So it's it's very end of its time, really. It's got it's be photographic. Yeah, I got it's got to be one of my favourite uh, pieces of Star Wars merchandise. I just I love the look of it, and it just it really embodies the era. It does, and it stands out, doesn't it? Because it's kind of the goldy orange. You know, it, it sticks out against all the kind of you know, the black and the the racetracks. You know. Yeah, it's phenomenal, Craig. If you ever see another one, please <laughs> give us a shout. I will. Fantastic. I don't suppose there's any chews left in that box, is there? Yeah. There is. I've got it full. It's not. It's, I made a top for it, 
<laughs> Don't be fooled, Grant. Really? It's oh, I thought it was full. No, that would be gross. No, I got a. Uh, <laughs> I got um. I bought because you can still pick up the wrapper that they're still around. If, if you you know if you're happy to spend that money on a wrapper, um. So I got one and I kind of because uh, it just it didn't look very good, just empty. So I kind of I, I made a little a little chop of uh, polystyrene just to keep it uh, keep it shape, and I just did a, a kind of top and repeated a few of the, the wrappers across the top just to look like something. Which is, I think, acceptable for display purposes. Craig, that's a genius idea. I've been been spending years with, like, shop display boxes and slowly filling them one shot. (laughs) 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 I should just put a fake bottom in there. Yeah, man. Yeah, I I mean, I love all that stuff. I've got a few, like, walls, um, not walls, uh, Lions Made wrappers. Yeah. Um, And the masks. I love the masks. Again, you know, things I remember from my childhood. I remember buying Star Wars lollies from the ice cream man and they'd hand you this, you know, you get your lolly and you get this little kind of square of paper. I remember mine was C-3PO and you, you punch it out and you, you loop two elastic bands through the little holes on the bit of paper and you wrap them around your ears and walk around with the crappiest C-3PO mask. But, you know, charming in its own right. The murder on your ears, I remember. But I've got this, I've got this set of four of those. There's a, there's a Vader, there's a Chewbacca, and there's a, a Stormtrooper, obviously, 3PO. And they're lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah amazing. I've, I've never even seen them come up for sale. Uh, I think there's a Chewbacca kicking around on a, on Bite Now at the minute. It's really? Okay. Been around for a while, yeah. Funny little stuff, you know, funny bits of, you know, ephemera that people chuck away that's just got all these memories. Do you still buy, like, the toys, or are you solely, oh. like, the oddball items now? You know, I watching because since a lot, a lot of the Facebook groups have kind of been happening, and you know, click like, and you get a daily dose of kind of what's out there, don't you? And uh, it, it's kind of prompting me to look at them again. And think I ought to buy, I ought to buy some of these missing weapons before you know they're completely out of my price range. So I do kind of go back from time to time and add to that, or if there's there's something that I see that's maybe an upgrade or something that I don't have. But you know, for the for the most part, with the, with, with the Palatoy stuff, you know, I don't go chasing carded figures uh, <laughs> anymore. But, you know, this is still kind of box things. I've just got into the uh, to the Airfix stuff, and the, the, you know, the old Dennis Fisher kits. Yeah. It's, all, it's all part of that world. It's all part of the stuff that was around then, and it, it's all pre-heavily monitored licensing, Photoshop files, and strict brand guidelines and, and everything's got its own little flavour and you get some unique art so yeah things like the vans uh, which uh, which is sort of you know as oddball as it gets I think but what, uh, what do you th- actually think now with the I mean Pally toy the prices have just exploded um, yeah. what do you make of the, the price increase now have you ever seen it uh, quite so extreme as it is now no no not at all and it's hard to know whether it's it, it's purely down to sort of all the the renewed interest from The Force Awakens or whether it was heading that way anyway. I know that in the in the 90s, so back to your earlier question, all the books have been written about Kenner. So you sort of went after that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, because that was what was in the books. Um, and the Palatoy was somehow less a, a lesser product because it was a bit provincial and it wasn't quite true and pure. And I've kind of seen that flip completely, uh, you know, now that that's more desirable because it's quirkier and it's not as mainstream and, you know, people... People who've got the set want to go out and buy all the foreign versions. You know, I'm looking at a big chunk of mine is Palatoid, um, because I bought it in England, you know. Going back as well to the 90s, can you remember when Trilogo was sort of like the poor man's collectible and... They were the first ones I gave away. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, when I was trading my reuse and my my logo, they were horrible. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and now I mean, compromise. The trilogo has exploded as well. Mm, yeah, it's strange. Yeah. See, back in the nineties as well, I always remember that there was always that debate of whether Pali Toy actually had the vinyl Cape Jawa. Yeah, you know, and people now. Over the last ten years, people have said that it has existed, and now it's pretty much you know everyone but, yeah, has seen three or four examples that have come up for sale. What did you always make of the uh, the myth of the of the Palisori vinyl cape jawa? I always thought I'd seen them, but then you sort of start to doubt yourself. So I had a mate, and I'm sure he had one because I remember it. Like, I remember thinking it was a bit shit. <laughs> Um, I think in the early days it was all a bit mixed up, you know. Stuff stuff found its way on sale on shelves that maybe it shouldn't have done. A lot of American stock came over as well. Yeah, you know, I remember buying um, you know a collection in the early nineties and it had a blue snaggletooth in it. Yeah, it's, you know, it was a kid's collection. There's no way that that could have got there. They must have sent you know a couple of the adventure sets over and it's found its way there. Yeah, I mean, I hugely hugely admire all those people out there who, who are cataloguing this stuff and you know you, you see it on a daily basis on the Facebook groups people really know their onions but I I, I don't think it's as an, as an exact science as people want it to be as collectors I'm sure it was all a bit of a mucky mixture at times yeah absolutely how many how many items do you think are in your collection I, I, somebody asked me this the other day I, I don't know where to begin you know <laughs> I really don't in the thousands, over a thousand items, do you think? Yeah, it's in thousands. You think about, you know, sort of almost complete ones of Star Wars weekers and things and boxes. It's, you know, it's a lot of items individually um, when you when you sort of add them up. But you know, I I don't think it's I don't think it's a massive collection compared to other people's. Um, I, I think it's 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 got interest over the years just because it's it's kind of always made the effort to kind of display it nicely and not hide it away in boxes. So it always looks quite cool. Right, there are far better collections than my other. Is it across the entire house, or have you got it in one place? It's uh, it's it's in one room for the most part. Uh, you know, there's bits of art, and uh, it does it does spill out into other rooms and other parts of the house. But it's nice to have it all together. You know? What sort of like the future do you think you're looking at? Are you going to stick with the sort of British stuff from the seventies or eighties, or do you have any sort of collecting goals or anything that you're looking at? Um, I'd like to. You know, finish some runs of stuff. <laughs> I think there's, all, you know, one thing I don't have is a Y wing. You know, I've never bought a, a kind of box Y wing. I know there were lots around uh, at one point, uh, and that's something that I kind of like to do. And that pretty much that would pretty much do the UK side of kind of the boxed palisade stuff. You know, a few kind of American things like the, the Saturn Crawler and the, the Sonic controlled Land Speeder would be nice. Um, yeah, it would be nice to kind of finish that off. But there's almost that kind of like if it's you don't want to finish it at the same time, it's kind of nice that there's still there's still something to go at. I, I don't have a pop-up R2, you know. That's that's one thing I don't have. So yeah, I'll keep. I, it, there's always there's so many little strands to the collection. There's always something out there to kind of you know, pique my interest, and I'll and I'll kind of like go out for leather for something for a few months, and then <laughs> no, something else will distract me. Um, I'll go off in a different direction. That keeps it interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the one thing about collecting the oddball stuff is just the constant variety keeps it interesting. Yeah, and there's things there's things I haven't touched that I know I you know if I let myself I could get quite into like you know the Icarus play mats and uh, the, the place mats and things like that uh, stuff out there that's still interesting. But if you uh, if you're looking for a pop up saber, I'll definitely swap one for an empty box of Empire. <laughs> <laughs> You can have two, actually, mate. Yeah? <laughs> cool. Brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's good. 
It's all good. Well, uh, thank you ever so much, uh, Craig. Actually, before we uh, before we round, wrap up, one question we always ask: If we were all being moved to a new new planet where money was no object and you were only allowed to take one piece from your collection, what piece would you take? And buy strikes back box choose. <laughs> I'll bring that for you. <laughs> <On the, laughs> under the other arm, I don't know. It's it's hard to go with sort of you know the balance between you know what was hard to get hold of and versus the sentimental stuff. You know, you know, I'd certainly put Dewey in my pocket. <laughs> I, I think I, I think the helix, probably the letter set display box. Oh yeah, that's a fantastic piece, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, there's not many of those around, and I think you know that needs preserving for, for posterity is there anywhere our listeners can find you online uh i'm on, I'm on the twitter i'm on uh I'm craig spivey on there um I'm on instagram occasionally put things up there prop panel websites out there on Flickr. um just google that i'm, I'm out there and, and craig if you're ever in uh, if you ever find yourself in wales please come over and uh, display my stationery for me properly i'd love to i'd absolutely love to <laughs> <laughs> bring some little risers yeah, that surprises. That's what you need. That's what it is, isn't Those it? Are a, they're a bugger to display. Fantastic. Well, Craig, thank you ever so much for your time tonight. It's uh, been, a, been a blast. I've enjoyed it. All right, thank you, Craig. All righty, take care. Cheers, pal. Cheers, then. Star Wars has returned to resume its storyline Between the last film and now, well, it's been a long, long time If you've forgotten anything, we'll remind you now In a very detailed recap of how it all went down Escape pod to Tatooine, Jawas sentient machines, young Skywalker sunset scene, R2 ants and people scream, Obi-Wan in long dark robes, must repair C-3PO, Obi-Wan you're my only hope, Uncle Owen, and ooh, nope. Boss Sizely, lots of weirdos, not the droids as far as we know, Han shoots first, bye bye Greedo, Chewie jump up to light speed go! Alder on to smithereens, that's no moon, tractor beam, dress up as the other team to save the captured future queen, dodging blasters, trash compact, Quote off between dueling actors, wayward students, slays his master, must escape but must go faster. TIE fighters hot pursuit, don't get cocky, kid just shoot. Yavin 4, prep the troops, may the force be with you Luke. Plus red 1036 at all, torpedoes miss, computers fall, use the force, now Luke don't stall! Vader, Falcon, woo, close call. Death Star goes kablooey, everyone get out there, zoomy medals for their royal duty. Han and Luke, but if not Chewie. Star Wars, Star Wars, this is everything that happens in Star Wars, Star Wars. Ice Planet Wampa Cave, Obi-Wan beyond the grave, Solo in the blizzard brave, Taunt on guts, Lucas saved. Back to base of frozen water, Nerf herder, Kiss that's awkward, Star Destroyers, Giant walkers, Lots and lots of rebel slaughter, Asteroids, take a breather, Rarin on 
infamous phallic creatures. Big of all, Luke, where you'll meet your ancient Muppet Jedi teacher. Physical and mental training, Vader vision, Yoda's praising. Do or do not, X-Wing raising. Whoop, gotta go, friends need saving. Cloud City wariness, once more 3PO's a mess. Dark teams up with Boba Fett, as the world's worst dinner guest. Luke is on his way, although, carbon knife will pour on Solo. Walter Deal, damn it, Lando, awesome kiss, I love you, I know. Luke and Vader, this is it. Epic battle trading hits. Sabres clash, pop and fizz. Nothing is as cool as this. Vader cuts him out the wrist. High above an endless pit. Dark side pitches. Luke resists. I am your father. Holy shit! Star Wars, Star Wars. This is everything that happens in Star Wars, Star Wars. Java's palace, next vendetta Chewie captured, plan develops Leia's bounty, hunter get up Humphrey's Han, but it's a setup Luke shows up in Tatooine Leia's super hot bikini Rank or fight, that bikini Sarlacc pit, that bikini Walk the plank, but the plan is set Green lightsaber, catch no sweat Java grossly choked to death The same is true for Boba Fett Dagobah, Luke retreats Master Yoda dies in peace Kenobi paints a family tree Remember that one kissing scene? Death Star almost good to go the Emperor now joins the show Endor is more frightening though With teddy bears, with bows and arrows Luke gets caught, confronts his dad Come with me, you're not all bad Rebels move in to attack the Death Star But whoops, it's our trap One more saber, fight's a given Vader's hand cut, symbolism Lightning fingers, indecision Vader toss and all's forgiven Bonding quick before it blows Remove a helmet, oh, that's gross Endor dancing, happy ghost And that is how the story goes Star Wars, Star Wars, that was everything that happened in Star Wars, Star Wars, there were only three installments of Star Wars, Star Wars, don't look any further into it Star Wars, Star Wars Right, now over to Jez for this month's newest acquisitions. Hello, what have we here? Ah, good. New acquisitions. Exciting times for the new acquisitions. As you can imagine, there's just so many things. What's important is, it's not where these things have come from, but what they are. So regardless of whether or not we're talking about stuff on Star Wars Forum UK or whether or not it's on TIG, whether or not you're a Facebook user or a forum user, it matters not. Hopefully, we're going to be talking about some things which we've all noticed recently. And maybe our listeners will just think, oh, right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I haven't seen that before. And it might actually generate some more traffic for different Facebook groups or certainly the forums as well. At the end of the day, it's vintage Star Wars, and that's what we're here for. And hopefully, that's what our listeners are listening out for. I'm going to start off, though, as I always do, with Star Wars Forum UK. You'll find them full of surprises. It's a bit of an oddball theme, really, going throughout this. Been really excited to have a little look through it and see what there is. But first of all, on page 1802, so going all the way back to 1802, three Sheepio got himself a boxed palatoy, but it was a first issue X-Wing just £40 found in a toy shop in Glasgow. Pete, you were looking into this, weren't you? Yes, Jez, I was. Um, it, it, something occurred to me, actually, is how plain 
the uh, the design and the, and the picture is a pilotless X-wing looking beautiful and white and shiny, kind of just sitting there on a planet with no figures, no nothing. It's all kind of simple, and a few stars. And then you see the beta boxes, and you've got figures all over the place. You've got settings, you know, Dagobah settings, all that sort of thing. So I was just, just, just it was funny to be brought back to that kind of simpler times, Jess, simpler times. They didn't want to take a risk, did they? It was like, yeah, we're going to put this together. We've got this box. We'll just chuck this on, and, and we don't know how popular these toys are going to be. Let's face it. Yeah. So let's not put it's too a- much effort. It's the picture of the toy on the on the box. <laughs> I mean, there wasn't a great deal of thought. Let's put a picture of the toy on the box, and then obviously later on we had we had some action scenes. But you'd have thought maybe they should have might have gone for a kind of you know uh, you know one of the scenes from the film. Maybe I don't know, but um, I wonder why it was such a plain choice. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful design, the whole thing, especially with the Palatoy logo on. But yeah, it just kind of struck me how how <laughs> how it got better as it went along. Yeah, definitely. I, I contacted him and I just said, you know, tell me about it. I mean, forty pound for a boxed Palatoy X-wing, oh, bargain. Oh, all awesome. I mean, he said that he was down for the day and decided to pop in to have a look, as he'd been told that they had some vintage, and it was rare to see vintage in shops these days. And he was stunned to see a few boxed complete vehicles and a boxed Yoda hand puppet as well as some seriously beat up loose figures. He said it's a bit grubby. Um, but he, he's delighted with it, and uh, yeah, good on you. Absolutely brilliant. Moving on, page 1804. Now, I love this, and what I loved, and, and I urge people to check it out, Star Wars Forum UK, page 1804. Ian, everyone's favourite dealer, has put on the inflatable swords, but what he's put on with this are some fantastic pictures. Now, immediately, Grant, my thoughts go to you as they often do when I see oddball stuff, and this would definitely go in oddball. Would you agree? Yeah, it's kind of like a can of toy, isn't it? It's a 35-inch inflatable lightsaber. Uh, interestingly enough, it should come with a puncher repair kit as well, so I think for all the baggy collectors out there, that's one of the baggies that they, they need to collect for a, uh, a complete can of line. Um, interestingly enough, though, there are two box versions of this. Now, Ian's got the ones with the kids dueling on the front. Right. Um, I have the same one, but... I think mine was left in a shop window because it's sort of sun faded a bit. But there's also a Ben versus Ben Kenobi versus Vader version of the box as well. So there's two different box varieties you can get. Um, I went on the SWCA, but they've got loads of stuff on there. Um, I got carried away. They have like box cromlins of it, the box photo artwork. They have an incredible mock-up as well of the toy, which is drastically different and far superior to what was released. Uh, the handle actually has loads of detail on it, like a proper lightsaber handle. Um, and also, you know, it's got an extremely rare shop display that comes with this, which has got like two lightsabers crossed at like a 70 degree angle with the Star Wars logo. I know it's highly desirable in the, the shop display collecting world. Um, the saber itself is yellow, which of course is wrong because we all know that Luke, well, I mean Anakin, well, actually, I mean Ray's saber is blue. But yeah, uh, I never, I know these were released by Palitoy, um, but I never uh, saw these when I was a kid. What I did see was the force beam lightsabers, which was like the plastic ones that were bootlegs advertised in the licensed Star Wars Marvel uh, comics. I saw plenty of those when I was a kid, but never saw the inflatable one. Doing a tiny bit more research on, on this, interestingly, uh, interestingly enough, Hallmark, uh, you know, who make all the cards and stuff like that, yeah. Uh, they actually released inflatable lightsabers in 2005 and then again in uh, 2012. So it's right. come full circle. Uh, great piece, though. I mean, I love it. Mate, that's some real, real good gen you've got there. 
with regards to what Ian's put on, yeah, his, his photographs are great, and he does have the puncture repair kit. So nice little touch from the baggy point of view. You gotta love a lightsaber, man. Everyone needs a lightsaber. An elegant weapon, but a more civilized age. So uh, yeah, good on you, Ian. Some great photographs. Thanks for adding those on because I think those photographs which Ian's added are, um, are definitely better than anything else I've seen online. So it'd be good to actually get some simply to get some stuff like that added to the SWCA would be uh, really cool. So moving on to page 1805, Andy Go. Palatoy Death Star next to his Kenner Palatoy one and a Toys. So here we go. A Palatoy Death Star with Kenner packaging. Rich, now I've asked you to have a little look at this. What's going on? Yeah, well, it was quite fortunate because I remembered an article that Yehuda Kleinman had wrote on the SWSW blog where he mentioned the different kinds of boxes that are available. So I went straight onto that blog. And he's mentioned on there, I mean, as we know, I mean, he he calls it the quote palatoy because it's a right to call it palatoy when it was available in the UK, France, Australia, New Zealand and Canada. So five countries selling it. Fair one. Well, it was designed by palatoy. Yeah, fair that, one. Fair that's fair one. enough as well, yeah. So, so Andy showcasing the palatoy UK desk store. Um, what also looks to be the Australian toy, toy, toy desk store and not the New Zealand one. Uh, do any of you guys know how you can tell the difference between those two? Uh, the base. Yeah. The the New Zealand one comes in a white base and it has a lid that lifts up like a typical board game, whereas obviously the Australian one has the side flaps like what the normal desktop box has. Um, so from the top down view, um, it's very very difficult to tell the difference. But I think that one's the Australian one. And as Jess has pointed out there, he has a one with the Kenner logo on. Now there were two types of um, desktop available in Canada. Um, from the Palatoy design, you had the box standard one, which is the one that he hasn't got, which was released in most Canada stores. But what he has is the CS exclusive, and it's because it has a little um, special offer on it, um, a little yellow sticker. Does anybody know what came with the Canada CS exclusive? What was the special offer? Uh, Rich, was it two stormtroopers? It was. It was two little stormies. So, from my reckoning, that means you've only got three more to go to complete the full set. So, Andy, Kenna Canada, Meccano, New Zealand Toy Toys, good luck. Wish you the best. Cheers for that, Rich. That, also, I had no idea whatsoever about the about the difference in boxes. And now I want to go and check that out. That's, um, that's really, again, a really, really good bit of gen there. Leaving out a few pages now, going up to page 1811. Hooch. It's got Return of a Jedi Watch. Stu, you were looking at this. Yeah, to be honest with you, I never thought about there being Star Wars watches, you know. I used to have a Transformers one when I was young, but I often sit on eBay and type in random things and just buy random things. But it never occurred to me watches. And when I started looking into Star Wars watches, I found 48 different examples. Now, I'm sure there's far more. And as for Jedi watches, I found that I think there was about five or six. Um, most of them had either Ewoks or Jabber on them, and there was a nice one with Vader on it. Where it comes to prices, I was looking in the Tomart guide, which was in 1994, so 22 years ago, and they are quoted between 45 to $75. If you go on eBay, there's still two on there now, and they're still between 85 and 125 so not much rise in 22 years, which was quite surprising. So a nice thing to collect. Grant, do you, do you own any of these watches? Uh, yes, mate. There's a couple of uh, Bradley Time uh, watches that were available in the UK, and I think Texas Instruments was another company that made it. I remember they were 
quite prolific for Star Wars. There was obviously the one that was in the Star Wars comic that was constantly offered for the first year, I think, of the Marvel Star Wars comic. And obviously when Jedi came out, they really merchandised it, and there was a lot of Ewok stuff, like you said, and Jabba the Hutt, just like you said. So, yeah, I do remember a lot of that kind of stuff coming out. Yeah, yeah, like you said, most of the watches do actually have 3PO and R2 on them, or Vader. They seem to be the real popular popular characters on them. But Hooch, who bought, he bought one with the Ewoks on, because he's obviously an Ewok collector. There's another two or three, I think, with Ewoks on, so he's got some um, he's got some work to do. And there is actually one on eBay at the moment for 120 no, $85. So no excuses there not to pick up the other one. Um, also, I don't know if you've ever seen this, you, you oddball collectors. When I was looking into this, Return of the Jedi also did like a quartz timer. Do you remember like the old stopwatches that your PE teachers used to wear around your neck? Oh, yeah. you ever seen them? The Return of the Jedi, one of them? It's got no. like, a biker scout on it, which was quite nice. It came in a quite fancy box, and there is one on eBay at the moment for about 380 quid. But uh, not something that I'll be buying any time soon. So, uh, well, Stu, going back, you know, you were saying about having Ewoks on it and Jabba the Hutt. I can totally understand the Ewoks from a kid's point of view. Let's face it, the, these are watches are pretty much aimed at kids. And I would say that from an Ewok recognition point of view, it's probably... Papaloon Wicket on this particular one. Yeah. But with regards to Jabba, I'd be surprised if as a kid you're like, who do you want? Luke, Han, Fett? He walks, no, I want Jabba. I don't really get it. I didn't see any watches with the likes of Luke and Han on, but perhaps it's just because of the human faces. It looks like to me that they're all, you know, dressed characters. They're easy to draw. Go on, sorry. Yeah, we've talked about this before, and uh, you know, some of the guests have said as well that human characters, I mean, it's very generic. It could be Flash Gordon, it could be a million different things, but when you've got, like, Jabba the Hutt and Darth Vader, it's obviously Star Wars, and I think that's why they used it. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I definitely remember that now. He got it a bit of a steal. He said it was a bit of an oddball item, fits his focus. Postage was almost four times the cost of the watch alone, but he still managed to get it posted down under from the US for less than 20 Australian dollars. Brilliant. Yeah, so good on him. Page 1811, and it is great. So let's stay on page 1811 and go on to Gary. Sif Smith got himself a palatoy kite. Another item I had no idea existed. A palatoy kite still in its packaging. Grant? Yeah, I used to see these on eBay going quite cheap, but I haven't seen uh, one of these for quite some time now. I'm, I'm, I'm not actually sure if you could actually buy these in stores, and I couldn't actually find any information. But they were like once again, they were heavily uh, advertised in the Marvel comics, uh, especially uh, for competitions. So I guess it's one of the early products that came out because you know they struggled getting the toys out in time. Uh, but it's actually a promotion. Uh, by KP Crisps. I'm not sure if KP Crisps still go, but you must remember KP Crisps from when we were kids. And um, basically, what you'd have to do is you'd have to send three crisp wrappers and 95p away, and you'd get this Paddy's Hoy Star Wars kite. I actually tried to do some research as well, because I, I, to be honest with you, I've never seen the, uh, the KP Crisp wrappers, and I found an image of a beef burger flavor KP Outer Spaces crisp packet. And, um, you know, Pete, you said you'd like crisps. How much do you think uh, beef burger flavour KP Outer Spaces crisps cost in 1978? 1978? Ooh, it's going to be about 4p. Oh, 5p. Oh. So for, it's 5p 
for three bags then, that's 15p plus 95p, you could get yourself a Paddy Toy Kite. But I don't know if they were in the shops, but they were definitely heavily advertised in the Marvel comics. Oh, right. But to find them in their packaging, he, he's done well there, hasn't he, really? I think so, yeah. I looked at, I looked at the text, what Gary had written. Finally got one of these Palatoy kites, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And bearing in mind, this is Gary Smith, who's a bit of a, bit of a, a collector of rare antiquities. He, he knows his stuff. So he's, he's really stoked. Uh, the exclamation marks, let it be known how important this is to him. But he did want to give a bit of a bid up to Mark or Curry Monster 6290 for helping him get it. Um, it's a great piece. Gary, you're quite clearly delighted. So, uh, yeah, great. The Imperial Gunnery Forum, page 20. Yuzaman with the coolest poster. Well, certainly in my eyes, it's the coolest poster. You really, really must check it out. Pete, you saw this, didn't you? And how would you describe this particular poster, mate? Do you know what caught my eye, Jazz? Can you guess what bit caught my eye? Leah in the bikini? Exactly. You've got kind of like the, uh, the, the, um, the holy trinity of, of characters, you know, Luke, Han and Leia kind of running down the centre of the poster. And Leia is enormous, which makes it a beautiful poster. But also, what makes it even funnier is the massive Ewok that's kind of sitting next to, <laughs> to Leia as if, like, you know, you've got Luke and Han and Leia and a massive Ewok it seems to be Kind of, I know they, they do feature in the film, but it is quite prominent when kind of poor old Lando's sitting out there on his own almost, and you've got this huge Ewok, and it's not even, it's not, not the greatest kind of um, image of an Ewok. It doesn't look very dramatic. It's just an Ewok. He's not yeah. doing anything. You know, you would hope maybe you had a, you know, a dramatic set of Ewoks looking a bit fierce with spears, but no, this is just an Ewok face. Go on, go on, Pete. Give it your best impression of the translation. <laughs> what read out the word yes uh genus atacomst it's a gorgeous swedish poster we just do not do it credit but those those european and foreign um wordings of the, of the films look so much more dramatic um obviously because they're in a foreign language but they look you know when, when you've got the, the the huge great big typefaces because obviously there's more letters and more words and the uh the more yeah the more european you get the further you go towards some of our um, like Hungarian friends, you do get these enormous logos with loads and loads and loads of writing in, which just say, you know, the word Star Wars, but, you know, Quirle Stellari. You've got far more words. It looks massive. <laughs> Exclamation mark. Yeah, so if, you, if you're keen to know more, check out the Imperial Gunnery Forum on page 20, and, uh, and I'm sure you'll agree. It is one of the coolest posters uh, you'll see. Then you go over to page 21. Mike Z. Mike Zed on uh, Craigslist purchased a DT Luke and a Luke Farm Boy mint on car, but it was the DT Luke which was uh, really really cool. A rich, you're uh, you're not shy from the old DT. What do you think of this, buddy? When I looked at it and I looked at the story in a lot more detail, it's actually quite interesting. He's replied to a, a, um, a selling ad on Craigslist, and for those in the UK, I think Craigslist similar about Gumtree. And basically what Mike wanted, this guy had already sold. But what's really interesting is, is how he struck up a conversation. And it seems as though that this original guy was a semi-seller, not quite black hole, perhaps a little bit independent and didn't really interact with the community. And he was starting to sell some of his um, items off. So the relationship that he built up with him led him to believe that he had other nice items. 
And after quite a lot of correspondence, he says, well, I've got a nice graded DT look, and I've got a, a 41 back look farm boy that I don't really want to sell, but I know it's going to a very, very good home. And because of that relationship that he built up with the guy, he's actually got those two pieces into his collection now, which I think is brilliant. But I have to say, I'm not a fan of how the AFA cases display the DT Sabres. I don't like the way that they are presented in the case, and to me, they just look a little bit precarious and... I know how fragile those DT Sabres are, and I haven't seen any pictures of snapped ones inside the cases, but it wouldn't be surprising if there's plenty out there. You're absolutely right. I share your feelings, but in, in a slightly different way as well. It wasn't necessarily so much for the precarious side of it, but going back to the whole toy story about it, toys want to be played with, yeah, if they're, in their, if they're in their packaging, leave them in their packaging. But if this thing's been out, it wants its lightsaber up its sleeve, in my opinion. And this is where... You know, if grading is your thing, it was the uh, Steve at the UK grading agreed to start displaying inside um, cases, DT figures or, or regular figures with the Sabre in. And I just thought that looks so much better, in my opinion. Totally agree, Jez. But yeah, good on you. I just love stories of people finding stuff, you know, outside of eBay, outside of Facebook and even the forums. Just, you know, in the shop in Glasgow, getting himself an X-Wing or doing this on, on Craigslist Gumtree. It's just great. And it just gives me hope that one day, one day I'll find something myself. So, uh, yeah, good on you. Delighted for you. And then I went over to Facebook and I checked out the 12 back and early vintage collectors group. And it was Bill Kennedy put on a sealed Canadian vintage jigsaw. I thought, right, OK, yeah, jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, it's all it's all good stuff. And this was a Luke and 3PO together on the front. But then he put on a comment saying there are 19 different types, 19 different types of sealed vintage jigsaw from this range. And he's got 17. Grant, you know, I'm coming to you, man. This falls under the whole oddball thing. Have you have you got one of these? Have you seen these? Um, yeah, I was uh, I was trying to research a little bit. Um, they they differ a bit from the Kenner ones. Um, it does appear that the Canadian ones, much like the Kenner ones, has like uh, purple boxes for the 500 pieces, and the 140 pieces have like a blue box. Um, I haven't found any black ones like the US. You got to remember that these were probably the very first things that came out from Kenner when they couldn't get the toys out in time and they were just like, you know, we can do jigsaws. The fact that they're Canadian as well, I reckon there's you know, probably a hell of a lot less than these than there are the American counterparts. So typical of, the, of uh, you know, the Canadians and the Americans as well, much like the poster magazine where we get like, you know, four issues and they get like 20. We got like four Waddington's uh, puzzles, I think it was four, uh, and they get like, you know, almost 20 again. But, um, yeah, these are great pieces. I was thinking with Stu, now he's finishing his Sigma run, I reckon a, uh, a Kenner jigsaw run would be next for him. But it's uh, yeah, it's quite an accomplishment, I think. I, I would love to cut a piece. <laughs> Stu, what are your thoughts on that? Get yourself a vintage jigsaw run. And when he says, I'm finishing my Sigma run, I've got an awful lot to sort of get, Grant. <laughs> so I got, I got a message off Bill. He just said that he's been collecting these Canadian ones since 2010. Wow. So that's pretty good going, 17 since 2010. But I said to him, okay, so let's see if we can help you out. You've got 17, it would be great to possibly help you complete and get up to 19. So he's also after the 140-piece jigsaw, which is simply called Droids. And he's after a 500-piece jigsaw, simply called Space Battle. 
Right. So if any uh, if anyone knows of those or sees them out there, please get in contact with Bill Kennedy on the Facebook group 12 Back and Early Vintage Collectors, and I'm sure he'd be delighted to hear from you. So and that was it. That was the section which we put together for the December edition, but we just ran out of time because we were all busy getting ready for a movie and uh, and just getting caught up with the whole Christmas thing. So we were putting this podcast together. I thought, no, I'm sure that there's been more things. Things have come out since then. And I've had another quick look. Page 1819 of Star Wars Forum UK. Andy Go, Luke Skywalker, boxed AM headset. <laughs> I just haven't seen one of these before. Uh, I should have seen him as a kid, but I didn't know anyone who had one of these on their head. Grant, you seen this? Page 1819. Uh, yeah, just you, uh, you probably wouldn't have seen them because they weren't actually issued by Paddy's Hoy. These were uh-huh. Kenneroni products. Uh, you'll see them now, though, because it's, uh, you probably use them in work in your helicopters. Especially <laughs> special forces are known to use them a lot, um, which is why they're so rare. Uh, this was an incredibly highly desirable uh, collectible back in say the 90s, about 20 years ago. Not so much these days, but, you know, I, I still think it's a quality product. Once again, like the Jigsaws, one of the very first things kind of uh, produced, and it's actually a uh, recycled toy. Which Do you know which toy, this was, which toy line this was recycled from? Uh, I don't know. No, I would have thought you would have known that. Is it, uh, any, any of the rest of you guys? Yeah, well, I know, but I'll, uh, I'm happy, Grant, for you to wax lyrical on this. Airwolf. Yeah, it's Airwolf, is that what you said, Stu? <laughs> yes, I guess. No, they're absolutely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Disgustingly wrong. I don't even know if they had headsets in Werewolf. <laughs> Werewolf? Werewolf. <laughs> Airwolf, I thought, like, the helicopter pilots, because Jez wears one, doesn't he? That's right, yeah. Yeah, only special forces. Um, G.I. Joe. No, it was the Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah, oh, yeah, they they had it. They there's another recycled toy, another one of Kenner. Like you know, let's get this, you know, let's paint it black. Let's get these out there so uh, people can buy our Star Wars products. But um, I, you know, I'd I'd love to have one of these pieces. For me, it's always going to be a classic Star Wars piece and one of the first Star Wars collectibles ever. I mean, why not? It's highly desirable, I'd say. But and it also, he's got it in cracking condition. Yeah. I mean, it's lovely to see one of these in, in its box, and it's yeah, it's standard thing with the uh, goofy kid from the seventies uh, <laughs> with his lovely seventies haircut and one of these on the side of his head. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great condition. And you go, you, you do pick up some awesome stuff. And I just love the fact that the forums are just full of all this stuff which people just haven't seen before and I really really you know encourage people also they're all interested in Star Wars stuff just get amongst it and have a look talking of which on page 1825 Blue Dog old Ryan from Down Under finds himself a 7 inch Takara Chewbacca now again another piece which you think hang on a second 12 inch range 3 and 3 quarter what's this 7 inch Pete? I, I had no idea this existed so I thought it was some kind of weird custom, but again, <laughs> Takara stuff is really cool. This is mad. I mean, have you seen the actual packaging it comes in? That you, it, I didn't realise it came on like a blister card, you know, like a normal card back with an enormous blister on it, you know, an enormous bubble on it. Well, like my um, favourite Bendham. Yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> it's just crazy. This back, I mean, it, it's the fact that, I mean, I had, I had a quick look, and they've only released kind of four of this size, so... There was only like four. I think it was a Chewbacca, uh, Darth Vader, 
something as a three pound a stormtrooper um, in this size. So if you if you were in Japan, you would have played with a very awkward looking range of of figures. So you'd had like a, a six or seven inch and a twelve inch. So Chewbacca is supposed to be this enormous beast. You would have played alongside him with a with a much taller Luke or a much taller um, uh, other figures like uh, C3PO. So completely bizarre. I've never seen it like it. I mean, he looks like some kind of cross between a very angry Ewok and um, and, a, and a Wookie. He just looks quite livid. <laughs> Something's gone on. Something has gone wrong. But um, yeah, I was, I was looking at the packaging, and they also spout Stormtrooper, Stormtrooper, as well, which is interesting. Wow, I hadn't noticed that. Stormtrooper. And that, that also features, I, I have no idea what the text says, but uh, even on the Chewbacca card, the, the, the word Stormtrooper is written across his face on the natural packaging. Blue Dog Ryan's been around for a while and has been collecting, and has just recently got back into collecting. And he, he got the 12-inch, I think it was a uh, C-3PO, and this came with it. And he said that initially he thought it was a modern version, but once he actually clicked on the listing he bought it off, he realised it was Vinci's Takara vinyl 7-inch figure, he said all those years of reading about foreign lines eventually paid off. Right, so then, yeah, moving to Rebel Scum. That's how hippie. You know how hippie, we've mentioned this before, showing off and displaying his pocket and his PBP, but this time it was the actual advert which we had seen. Very cool POC advert. Rich, I know that you go on Rebel Scum. Do you see this? I did, and I just want to say thank you, Hell Hippie, for showcasing so many items. I think he single-handedly keeps the latest acquisitions going on Rebel Scum so often. It's just bang, 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 you ate him, you ate him, you ate him, and he's never shy, so thank you very much for that. So what he showcased, as you said, there's a small advert for POC figures, and he's not sure exactly when it's released, I think in around 1981, and it's advertising 31 figures in the set. But bizarrely, it includes six photos of only some from the first 12. So that seems a little bit odd. Now, in my very, very broken Spanish, which I probably only know five words, and from reading a lot on Spanish forums, I managed to find out that this appears to have been released in a fortnightly Spanish magazine. And inside that magazine, there was some kind of comic insert or perhaps a comic section in there. And that was called Dumbo. And if anybody's after tracking this down, it's issue 41. So that's my little bit of knowledge for the day. Very good knowledge, mate. Cracking advert. And uh, it's just really nice to see it. And you know, you guys know how much I love the PBP. Don't worry. I won't. You don't talk about that, Jeff. Should we insert the rap in? Not going to insert the rap. Don't worry. The rap is done. So, Star Wars from UK. Tig, Rebel Scum, and our Facebook groups. There's a new kid in town. Something happened just before Christmas that a new forum was released. Tantiv 11. New forum. Check them out. Have a little search. Now, these are going to be featured on our next podcast, and we're, in fact, going to have them on for an interview. But it was page 12 of R2's projector beam. There's a chap called Nico who's got some really nicely displayed leddy overstock putts, which he's had framed. And it was just one of these things which I thought, do you know what? That actually is pretty cool. Stu, I asked you to look at this, didn't I? Yeah, you did. You put my name on this, and over the last six to 12 months, I've seen a lot of Lily Leddy overstock parts come up, and I always think, who's buying a, a boot of the Gamorrean Guard or whatever? So I kind of like opened up the image. And you're right, they've actually made 
these parts look absolutely stunning. Basically, I don't know whether he's a Lando focus collector, but he's got the, like, the Lando head at the top underneath the Lily Leddy logo. Three separate body parts, which are all painted differently, and at the bottom, two arms, one with a black hand and one with a blue hand, and in a black frame, and it, it does look stunning. And if you had your own focus collection, say, if, you know, if that was set up like Greedo, then I would probably be interested in buying it. But I've never been interested in them up to now, but, yeah, I think he's, uh, he's made a cracking job of it. Yeah, it's awesome. You, I've seen people do similar for uh, non-Sonic Welded stuff where, they, where they've put them together. And Yeah, I think uh, the same problem with, like, the, um, the bootlegs that still come on, what do you call them, like a spur? Yeah. You know, and those are hard to display because you've got those spur, you've got bits of plastic hanging off everywhere, and I was considering framing those. Tantive 11, check it out. You might well surprise yourself with uh, what's going on on that forum. So then, moving on, the final thing what I wanted to look at is Mike Strange on page 1812 of Star Wars Forum UK. Yeah, I'm going back there. Is his sweet boxed Atat. What he's saying is, it was just the second one of these to surface. Now, he's got 11 boxed 8080s, Atats, all train, armor, transport, whatever you want. But what's the significance of this? Only the second one to surface, lads? Oh, it's the um, isn't it the Canadian one with the once again just like the Death Star with the Stormtrooper offer on it? Well, yeah, th- this one is the John Menzies offer with the Stormtrooper offer. I mean, first of all, he's got an attack. Uh, <laughs> just it has got to be one of the coolest ones. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It was the one with the two free Stormtrooper or the free Stormtrooper sticker on it. He, he's delighted with it, but it just made me think. He's got 11 of these. And then he got another one on page 1822. Right, let's just go round, go round the uh, group. 8080, Atta, who's got one? I've got a loose one, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Loose one. Complete? Yep. Pete? Uh, incomplete one I've been rebuilding. Oh, nice, nice little project. Oh, that'll cost you a bit now. People do those uh, chain guns. Yeah, the guns and the and the the, uh, the head hatch are the two things obviously outstanding. But you know, I'm in no hurry. Of course, you. I've got I've got three loose ones, two complete. But um, I would love to get a box one. Yeah, yeah. Three three loose ones, two complete. Well, there you go. First thing first thing I bought when I got back into collecting. It was just so iconic. And Grant, I I, I assume you you've got one. Yeah, me. I've got uh, I've got uh, a box one there, but it was the the first vehicle I ever had as a kid, and I think it's probably the vehicle, isn't it, for the, uh, the Star Wars toy range? It's new Atat, the all-terrain armored transport from Kenner. Batteries not included. Action figures each sold separately. You can make Atat walk. Its legs are big enough to crush obstacles. You can move Atat's head and pretend to scan for rebels. Atat has a cockpit for Imperial Commander and Atat Driver and laser machine guns. When you push a button to fire the laser cannons, you activate battle lights and sound. There's even a troop compartment. New Atat from Kenner's Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection. Can't remember any of my friends having one. I remember all my friends wanting one, but I don't think any of us were that lucky, because if I remember, they, they were quite pricey. Oh, yeah, they were uh, £30, I think they were, which is a lot of money back then, considering a packet of uh, beef burger flavoured crisps for 5p. <laughs> but um, it never occurred to me to do a focus on this. I think this, this is a genius idea. It's like the most desirable toy back in the day, and to do a focus on it is a brilliant idea. I mean, I couldn't do it because I wouldn't have the room, but phenomenal idea. Yeah. Well, 
you know how many different versions he said that, that, that there are? May I, I, he's already gone way past where I thought what it was. I was thinking about maybe five or six, and he's way past that. Eleven or twelve? Yeah, he, he's got eleven, and there are sixteen. Really? Sixteen? Sixteen. Yeah, one six. So, there's the Canadian Empire Strikes Back Ophelous, Canadian Empire Strikes Back with an accessories offer, and uh, Canadian Empire Strikes Back Consumers Distributing Offer. Same as the previous one, but with a catalogue sticker side on the box, and it came with three Canadian carded figures, Stormtrooper, Attack Driver, and Attack Commander. That would be a nice one. Yeah. Canadian Epostros back Sears offer, again, same offer as, as the second one, with a small white special mini-action figure included, and it came with a Canadian carded AT-AT driver. USA Epostros back Ophelous, USA Empire Strikes Back, Ophelous, and a $1 rebate sticker. These are all different ones. Uh, USA ESB Accessories Offer. Uh, USA Empire Strikes Back Accessories Offer and a $1 rebate sticker. USA Return of the Jedi with the uh, Endor Forest scene. UK Empire Strikes Back, full colour. UK Empire Strikes Back, John Mainzi's Stormtrooper Offer. This one with the orange sticker offering free Stormtrooper to in-store shoppers. UK Return of a Jedi, free accessories off. UK Return of a Jedi, full colour box with English on the front, French on the back. UK Return of a Jedi, John Menzies poster offer. And then a French Meccano Empire Strikes Back and a French Meccano Return of the Jedi. I mean, this is a guy, Mike Strange, who certainly knows his stuff. And do you know what? Do you know what I love about this? This was a fluke purchase, which just knowing his stuff, he nailed. This was mislisted on eBay. He had this, uh, and I'm sure he won't mind me sharing this. He got the John Menzies ATAT off eBay. The main listing picture was of the wrong side. And it was only then on the last picture he saw the John Menzies sticker with £149, buy it now or best offer. He said he didn't bother making an offer. He hit the buy it now button once he'd gotten himself back up onto his chair. Um, never sees these things come around. As you said, it's one of only two known. So he, he's oh, absolutely oh. delighted. So 145 for that. Yeah, w- what a fantastic score. I said to him, right, so again, very much like with the Jigsaws, what do you need? So he wants the USA Ophelous with a rebate sticker, a Canadian Sears, an Empire Strikes Back Meccano, and a Return of a Jedi Man. Cano. He says any help would be awesome, uh, but but what what a great collection! I want to see them all lined up, Mike. If you're listening, please send us a photograph of your eleven boxed ATSEs all together. That would fill up a room. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? You said you said have buying a house to put these in. Just such an awesome, such an iconic piece, and in fact. I want to play the advert now. I want to. I want to. I want to play. Can Can you picture the Atta advert, which was played as a kid? The Atta attacking Luke Skywalker's rebel base. Can Luke, in his snowspeeder, halt the Imperial Walker? Okay, Luke. Here we go. Steady. the rebels survive only you can decide with star wars toys i know that we didn't actually talk about the attack vehicle itself we just spoke about the different boxes with regards to 
the ATAT, perhaps one day in the future, we'll come back and actually discuss the ATAT a little bit more. But that's a quick canter through some of the things which I've seen online recently. Once again, I just wanted to reiterate, it doesn't matter where these are from, what forum or what Facebook group or what have you. The fact is that they're all cool pieces, which hopefully have caught people's interest. But the last thing I want to mention is another, I don't know, it's just another good tale. It's another weirdness. I'm sure we all love it when we see people and just have a score, a really, really good positive vintage score. Who saw Best Spin Lover 1978 on the forum when he was asking about the legitimacy of a vinyl caped jower which had come into his possession? Yeah, is that the one that was really scruffy and uh, needed a good cleaning? Yeah, that's the one, Rich. Yeah, bang on. He got himself this thing and he was he was putting on a couple of sketchy pictures, first of all. And it turns out that he'd managed to bag himself a VCJ. What surprise nowadays? We've seen I've seen some advertised for a thousand pounds, for eight hundred pounds, six hundred pounds. No. This guy has nailed it. Someone picked up his wanted message and got in contact. She had four FETs and a Trilogo one. So I bought them from her. And she had a few more bits and pieces, mainly weapons I was interested in, attaching guns being his focus. This is when she sent me a picture of loose beta figures, including the Jawa. I obviously got quite excited at this point, but didn't really want to say anything as the amount of fakes going around and fear of losing a priceless gem. We agreed on the attaching guns and a couple of loose weapons, a Hanahoff plus the Jawa. How much? Go on. Have a guess. 400. Lower. 45 Mm. pounds. (laughs) <laughs> 42 pound. Yeah. 42 pound. 42 pound. Oh, Rich, Rich you can't guess when you know the answer, mate. <laughs> 42 is a genuine... And he's got his attaching guns as well. I mean, good on you. I mean, he's obviously chuffed. I mean, I threw it in there, you know, do you fancy quadrupling your money? Do you want to sell it on? And already it's got quite um strong attachment to it. I think he said his wife's quite keen on him um, selling it just because she knows how much they go for. But, yeah, he, he's delighted. So, absolutely good on you. Best Bin Lover, 1978, or Tom, uh, as, as he was actually named. That's it for another month of new acquisitions. Thanks very much, and uh, and we'll keep it coming. What can I do for you? Oh, you know, I've got some action figures to swap. You're a swapper as well. Right, you, you get a clean piece of paper on the licorice pad. Right, what are you offering? I live in the north, and we don't have much. It's mostly coal and horses. But I do love Star Wars. But we don't get many different action figures to collect. It's mostly just jowers. And it's those crappy ones with the plastic key-ups. I've got about 300 to swap. Is that what you're offering? Yes, no. Loads of jowers. Hundreds. 400, yes. No, man. 300 plastic cape jowers. Sorry? 300. Yes, I've got that now. 300. Wash your ears out, man. What would you hope to have? No. I would love a world atlas. You like a world atlas? Yes, man. You know, a world atlas. Maps and roads and that. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you like to go? I want to find the south. 
here it has loads of other Star Wars figures like Luke Skywalker, Han Solo and them robots. I take the horses and the cool wagon and load it up to the top with all the figures I could carry. Be real smart it would. That'll be on the board later. Thanks for the call. Don't swap your vinyl cape jowers for a world atlas. Get yourself over to the starwarsforum.co.uk and speak with more knowledgeable people who don't live in the North. I have to tell you, I've been doing this about 25, 30 years. Nego's collection is one of the most complete, one of the most pristine I've seen in a long, long time. Look for this whole collection to be a true winner. We have got two epic auctions for Market Watch. Please bear with us. Uh, I, we'll put links um, in the Facebook groups. Go and have a look at this stuff because it is worth looking at while we uh, talk nonsense. The first one was a Sotheby's auction in the States, and the other one was obviously a Vectus auction. Now, this guy who was selling off his Star Wars collection. Um, it's a guy called Nego. Now, I am not a person involved in fashion. Uh, now, Rich, you're a very fashionable individual, so I'm sure that Nego is one of your your most favourite clothing brands. Um, I know you buy a lot of his stuff, so uh, obviously I'll come to you first eventually. But this guy, his uh, real name is Tomaki Nagao. I've probably ruined his name, and he's a Japanese designer. Um, and he has fetched just over half a million dollars in this auction. I'll probably say most of it is holy grail kind of items for most collectors I would think. Now the the big sort of headline act uh, was the Canadian 7 pack from uh, Sears and that went for $32,500. Rich, you, you're actually someone who is an R5D4 focus collector. Now I didn't realise there was actually a 7 pack with R5D4 in it. Is it something you're obviously gonna gonna try and achieve? Well, it is now. Yep, <laughs> it is now. I mean, I've, it, Rich, are you telling me I have given you some new information on R5D4? Yep, you have. Oh my goodness! And do you, do you have any idea what who else is in the seven pack at all? Are the other six Star Wars figures? They are Star Wars figures. Rich, come on. Well, it's going to be a mix, I'd imagine, of different items. There's bound to be something that's obscure, like an Imperial Commando. Um, possibly Death Star Droid, a Stormy, one of the Han Solos, um, a C-3PO, and an at driver. Oh, Richie, you were almost very close. You got them all wrong apart from C-3PO. Uh, it's mostly droids and a Dengar, which is kind of strange. It, it seems like some of these seven packs had um, uh, sort of shrink-wrapped figures in, in some of them. So uh, worth checking out, Rich. Something there for your focus, I think, eventually. Mm -hmm. Judging by the fact that that one went for $32,500, which would probably buy you, what, a small town in Newcastle? Okay, so we had we had three Boba Fett Star Wars carded figures, and they went for the best part of, well, <laughs> $12,000. Is it a typo? A 20-back Boba Fett? I didn't know he came out in the 20-back. According to, according to this auction, that's probably why it went for a ridiculous amount of money. But there we go. It does say 20-back, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does say 20-back. I, did, oh, I didn't know it came out on a 20-back. Uh, Canadian Star Wars Boba Fett, 20-back. Well, maybe the Canadian... Uh, 20 back, I, I've never heard of that before. Uh, Pete, 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 you just said before that there was some um, 
Boba Fett mocks. There was quite a lot. Yeah, and there was quite a few Boba Fetts of a certain card type in this auction. Agreed? Are we talking Tri-Logo, which I've mentioned at the end of my show notes? Yes, I think we may be. You know, this Tri-Logo Boba Fett that nobody's seen for like 15 years of hunting, and yet that's five now that have appeared on the open market within the last... I think when those ones on eBay were... Uh, I'm going to say within the last four months? Yes, what, what's your point, Rich? Well, Rich, I don't that's know why you're surprised at that. They're on eBay all the time. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Grant. Yes, Rich. Interesting, but I mean, again, those those figures went for crazy prices. The, the estimates were were smashed to pieces. Uh, there's three of them, as you said, uh, six thousand eight hundred seventy-five dollars, six thousand and five thousand. So that was a a nice little amount there, which is quite impressive. There was a lot of lots of figures. Now we had the the big epic side of things where you know prices were going crazy, but then we had um, right in the middle of it. Um, Grant's favourite collecting Power of Force figures, some freeze frame Power of Force 2 figures, went for $1,500, which was an insane amount of money. I mean, that works out that at $26 per figure. Now, Grant, you've got loads of freeze frame figures, haven't you? So, wh- what made that go for such a huge amount? Um, I think it's, it must be that weak way, mate. It's got to be the freeze. I know that from collecting back in the 90s, the freeze frame weak way was a big deal. This is a Canadian version of that, I'm guessing. That's the only thing I can come up with, mate, because, I mean, I sold all my Power of the Force 2 stuff about five, six years ago, and if that's the price they're going for these days, I'm kind of regretting selling those. Do you actually think that, uh, you know, this Force Awakens now, massive success, that people are going to be going back and buying these Power of the Force 2 figures, and that that's going to kick off again? I, I personally can't see it, but it wouldn't surprise me that people go, right, it's Star Wars, it's, what, 20-odd years old, it's going to be worth money, and, and I don't know. I mean, maybe people will start buying this stuff for that amount of money. You could have bought one of the following lots. You could have bought eight vintage Return of Jedi mocks, uh, an eighty-eight Leia Poncho, Chewie, Emperor, Lando, B-wing, Luma, and a Paplu for under that amount of money in the same auction. And uh, again, there was another a lot, eleven Return of Jedi mocks, um, which had a seventy-seven A back Stormtrooper, Hoth Stormtrooper, Yoda, Lobot, Ben, Ugnaught. Uh, White Bestman Guard, Han Hoth, Luke Bestman, FX7. I mean, that's insane to think you could have got those kind of figures and someone paid that much for free, a freeze-frame collection. But there we go. So if you hadn't already spent most of your life savings, there was also a rather nifty Hungarian Bubba Fett bootleg figure. And this figure, I didn't realise, came on a variety of coloured cards. And the actual bubble was stapled, usually, to the back of the card. I think it was like brown, orange, a couple of other colours, and maybe a blue. Uh, this particular one was on a yellow card. And um, it smashed its estimate to pieces. But 15 grand. I mean, that, that, that was three times over the estimate, which was quite incredible. I thought model trims were expensive. That is, um, yeah, that's pretty crazy. I mean, that's the price of a you know, rocket firing Boba Fett. <laughs> these days in that sort of market that's the price of a three bed in Newcastle <laughs> that's at least a street does anyone think that some of these prices were, were pumped up because they were owned by a designer now like I said the only person I know who's heard of any of his, this guy's brands of clothing was our friend and Chewbacca collector James Martin who educated me about this guy and how famous he is I, I had no idea you know Mark Spencer's about as fashionable as I get the true story <laughs> sorry <laughs> it is true very true 
So do you think that that because he's a designer that he's pushed the price up? So it's like buying, you know, something from uh, a famous artist. You know, like you know, so buys something from Rory Lichtenstein, for example, because he had it in his, in his possession, or Andy Warhol. It, it's worth you know ten times more because that can't be a sensible price. No, like. not at all. I don't think that affects uh, collectors in any way. Really? Uh, we used to joke about we used to joke about it on Star Wars forum. I think years and years ago, someone posted that this. Uh, Leia Poncho was from a collection of Christian Slater or something. Yes, no, I saw like, like, nobody gives a damn. But, but I mean, how do you explain some of these prices? Some of them have gone nuts. Ah, Force Awakens, mate. Star Wars is. Yeah, I mean, look at how crazy it's gone. Come on, Rich, you're, you're, you're the voice of reason. Do you reckon it's it's been pushed up by the Force Awakens? Uh, no, I just think this one's been heavily advertised to. Um, people who go to auctions not looking to buy Star Wars items, big city bankers, um, people like that who are just looking to invest in something to show off to the mates that they'll probably sell in five years' time, usually at a loss. And that'd be sad. Sad of the arms. There were lots of other kind of graily items. There was a Power of the Force Anakin Skywalker which only went for three thousand US dollars, which is well below what it has been selling for on some auction sites. I mean, I think the last one I saw went for just under five thousand pounds, and this one went for three thousand US dollars. So that was quite a surprise. There was a Trilogo General Medine, one of our favourites, and uh, from our our list of uh, rare Trilogos, the upper estimate of that was fifteen thousand US dollars. Only only it only went for twelve thousand five hundred. There was an early bird certificate. Um, store display, which I didn't again didn't know existed, and that went for twenty grand, which is beautiful. Uh, there's a walking wind-up R2 um, that went for five thousand US dollars. Now, Rich, you actually had a bid on this, which is quite funny because the the final price was a bit mental. Um, you went for an R5D4, and it was, it was an upside-down back action figure, and it went for well, the estimate was four hundred to six hundred US dollars. And how much did you put on it? I think I put on about £250. £250, so what was that, about $400? So you went for the lower Yeah, Yeah, see about $400. How do you display that? Because <laughs> if you had it forward facing, right, nobody knows the back's upside down. So you flip it around, somebody's going to go, you got your mock upside down. Mirror, a mirror. A mirror. A series of mirrors. Yeah, yeah it, it would have to be a double mirror though, wouldn't it? Because you get your reflection wrong. But even then, it's just stupid. It's absolutely crazy. But for, for something at the end of the day, is a mistake. And And that went... For a staggering five thousand two hundred fifty dollars, so so it, it it smashed the estimate to pieces. We know from from experience with Vectors that estimates are you know all over the place, but that wasn't even close. So you know someone obviously wanted that desperately. I mean, like I said, if, if it was a one-off, then I wonder if maybe you know that's something that's that. Maybe but it's a... but it's still a production figure. These prices are what you pay for movie props. <laughs> yeah, and now. The top five priced figure-related items from StarWarsTracker.com Starting at number five, Ikbin Ein Jauer. It's our titchy little sand rat with a plastic cape and an acrylic prison from Germany for 1,431 bucks. Sacre bleu! You spent too long on your own on Tatooine and they've started to gather around you. It's another final cape Jawa from Canada for $1,952. A three, every Jawa needs a boxy looking rusty rider. It's a sand crawler for one cent short of 5,000 Benjamins. What did Jawas love to hunt on Tatooine? That's right, 
astromech droids trying to complete missions on behalf of Chesty Space Princesses. It's in it too, a Kenner 12A Solid Dome R2-D2 for 8,000 US greenbacks. And back in at number one, spend your child's college fund and own a DT lightsaber on the arm of a Kenner Loop Farmboy for 17,350 American bucks. See you guys next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5. There was another auction <laughs> which had an equal amount of ridiculous lots, which was our friends at Vectis. There was a six, over 600 lots here. There were so many amazing pieces. I mean, there, there was you could almost make a list of things that weren't sold. One of these was the Star Wars Lucite Star, which was like it's like a plastic star, which was given to the cast and crew of um, Star Wars, actually at the the premiere. And it didn't sell. I, w- I was quite surprised that, that, that someone who wanted a part of Star Wars and the, the production of it, it didn't actually sell. So I was quite stuck with that. I mean, the estimate wasn't actually that bad. What was the price of it? It was 400 to 600. Well, there was I would one... have taken a punt on that if I, if I had known. Cause... <laughs> if you'd gone through the 600 lots, Jess. <laughs> I don't know if I'd heard of that before, it, uh, if I was from uh, presentation or whether or not I... I heard about that at celebration at one of the celebrations, but I've, I've definitely heard of that loose height star before. There was one sat on eBay in 2013 for ages, and I asked the guy to put a payment plan on it, and he refused. And that went for 300 quid. Um, you know, maybe people aren't into it. I mean, I'd love it. Yeah. Well, there's uh, there's three of them. There's a Star Wars one, an Empire Strikes Back one, and a May the Force Be With You one. There we go. It's quite an, an interesting piece. Because it was so small, and it was just the 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 rocket um, of the Boba Fett rocket firing Fett, but just the loose accessory of it. That was it. There was no grade or anything. Uh, it came with a the usual COA letter, uh, dated in 2005, and um, it was estimated between 800 and 1,200, and it, and it went for 1,600. Now, <laughs> it's just it's obviously a, a, an interesting piece, but it's just the fact that it's this tiny little piece of plastic it looks like it's dropped out of a, like an unglued unglued fet and it's a lot of money for what it is but then again I guess if uh, rocket fire fets are going for like you know between 10 and 15 thousand pounds then this is I don't know there's something wrong about it's missing the Boba Fett <laughs> could you could you stick one with it well, and have done with it apparently it's also missing the bubble and the backing card as well <laughs> exactly but it's just incredible. It's just a little, little tiny thing. Rich, I'm sure you'd love this in your collection. I mean, it would suit um, you. Nah, I don't <laughs> think so. But I'm sure that this is one of the fets that came from a find that Chris Fawcett found of um, basically a collection of loose missiles. And from chatting to him a while back, he said that basically the the the, mis- the missiles got dished out to all of those collectors who had fets with no missiles so everybody managed to get a missile who needed one and there was some spare i can't remember from the top of my head how many how many missiles were found but it was quite a high number considering right we had some of the nice pieces there was a the trilogue hybrid cloud car pilot which i believe is quite highly desirable uh Ooh. graded and that that only i think only went for 1200 uh, I think the previous one had gone for about 900. I know okay. there was a lot of interest. I've actually collected the last two from Vectis, both of the um, hybrid cloud core pilots. There was also, uh, a, again, a quite a, a, 
a big cheesy item, which was a, a Power of Force Yak Face, which went for 3,400. Again, it was graded, so uh, you know that price is. I don't know. Seems to go up and down all over the place. Um, Rich, you actually had a. Um, well, I put I put down here. It was your fantasy lot. It was actually a tie bomber. Again, did you have a little pop at this? Oh, that was an ultimate mick. I was going to say a different word there. That, that's an <laughs> ultimate mick. Take that. There's nothing worse that's happened three times now. You head off down to Vectis, and and in this one, I don't think I actually won any items that I was collecting. So I was going down solely for other people. And I, you collect something that you bid for and didn't win. Oh, and, that's got to hurt. Yep. But the bizarre, the bizarre thing about that one was that the fact this actually came out with the wrong item. I had the, 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 they came out with a box of Leprocet items. And because I was collecting so many Leprocet items anyway, I just chucked them on my pile until I noticed that two digits didn't uh, uh, quite match up. There was a transcription error. Oh my so. Goodness. I went back and said, you know, look at this one, doesn't match up. And then they came out with the tie bomb. I was like, no, I'm picking that up. I can't believe it. But, yeah, never mind. It's went to a good home. One day, Rich, one day. I mean, I mean, I mean, that was that went for... It's, actually, the description says it, had, it actually had ink touch-ups on it. And it still went for yeah, £1,300. So, What's the, what's the yeah. sort of going rate for that, do you reckon, then? For a... A, box, a box one, um, about four, 400-ish for one in a rough condition. Um, I haven't seen any in amazing conditions there was only 10,000 of them made and of the 10,000 how many of them would have been opened I'd imagine a huge amount of them yeah. um, so there won't be that many left I think you can't be too fussy when it comes to tie bombers ok now Jez this is the next item now you I believe you were in a, in a consortium trying to buy this which was uh, amongst other SWFUK members and this was the trade box of Descord commanders 24 of them they were mint 12 B's um, and they were beautiful condition and all, all palatoys and it went for 9,500 in the end how close did you get to getting that I think together we had figured out that we could go to about eight grand I was I was one of the guys in on this and it was a great idea I don't know who first came up with it but I quickly said to Ed Let, let's go underground on this <laughs> so they came up with a um, we came up with a secret subsection of the forum oh my goodness which, it's like uh, it's some military thing <laughs> so, um, so Ed, obviously the uh, the founder and and primary uh, um, facilitator administrator of Star Wars Forum UK, created this um, sub forum for us, which only those who had who had uh, registered interest uh, were part of. Um, I think Richard might have been part of it as well, just because of um, how close he lives to Vectors <laughs> and might have been involved in that for us. Um, but everyone, um, it was a it was a really good test of. Um, people's sort of patience and communication uh, and what we were all willing to do because obviously everyone had to be in agreement uh, and we were discussing various different sort of conditions and who would get first dibs and, and we were coming up with a figure and saying right this is what we prepare prepared to go with uh, I had said right well you know I might be able to um, for a while we then dropped down below the minimum minimum number of participants required to get us in there and then we had transatlantic participants as well. <laughs> How many were and, in this uh, consortium, anyway? How many can you reveal? There was, uh, I think there was about 20 of us. Really? So I'd said, uh, I'd said that I'd go for an extra one, just if it helped us <laughs> seal the deal, and so did Ian. Oh and so goodness. everyone was looking at it, and everyone wanted one of these to keep. You know, yeah. we, we'd started putting a couple of little sort of suggestions in. Look, these are buy to keep. We don't want people flogging them straight away. 
um, and we you know don't want to flood the market. But if we can get a Palatoy uh, twelve back for sub five hundred pounds by doing it, this this is the way to do it. Because that actually price works out at four hundred ninety pounds per car back, and that's including all your taxes and all that sort of stuff. So that's actually not bad. Because the last four on Vectors have gone for. 660, 660 again, 620, and 900. I think that was a real mint one. So that would actually reduce that price down a real bargain. Obviously, get the box as well. Um, Star Wars Tracker dictates that that you're paying around about an average of £823 for the same figure. So that that was actually a real bargain. So maybe you should have put a bit more in there, Jess. Well, yeah, we could have done that. Obviously, (laughs) what what they're doing is. is, adding more into the market you know this is all based on on previous stuff there was the concerns of oh you know suddenly you can have a load more so is the value going to come down but i think i think that sale was such a good auction yeah the people actually didn't want to commit to more because it was a case of do you know what there are so many other things that i want to bid on and i I, I really like this and i really like that turns out i didn't win any of it but (laughs) Do want to completely commit everything, particularly just before Christmas. Well, Rich, you were yes. there and you saw this, didn't you? Yeah, I got used in that. In that sub- <laughs> you got thing. used. I only, got in, I only got invited in to be the messenger. But what was really, really frustrating for me was that I obviously saw what you were discussing and the prices you were coming up, and I knew you were nowhere near the two bidders who I knew who were saying they were going to put this amount in. And I was looking at what you're doing, and I was thinking, guys, you're wasting your time, you're wasting time, you're wasting time, you're not even close. And then eventually one of you said something along the lines of, guys, we need to up this, seriously up it. And you were starting to talk nearer the amount that I thought you had a chance. But then another one of you has come in and said, look, if we're getting for that price, they're not going to be a bargain. But you're right what you said there, there Pete. I think £500 is a bargain for these. Yeah. You, you do see them over seven, 800 And that was what one of the guys who was underbidden, he was basing on seven to £700, £750 a card. But, and then Jez says these are coming on the market and they're, they're not. They're, they've just gone. It's as if these don't exist now. They've disappeared. So it's going to make no. It's going to make no impact on the market because it's not suddenly 24 to sell. Right, and finally, <laughs> to complete my uh, my... It seems almost a year of talking about the Palatoy Death Stars. The last one with the, the original trade box came out for sale, and it went for two thousand two hundred, which, of course, you know, makes a makes a, a quite a pricey set. I think we're in the, I think we're almost up to the twenty grand mark for the for all of those Death Stars now. So um, that's quite that's quite an auction of Death Stars. So right, that's me done. Now I would I really would. Um, encourage anyone to go and look at the this stuff. Um, but obviously, the listings are still on Vectis, and the listings are obviously somewhere on the Syllabus site in in New York. And just go and have a look at some stuff because some of these things will, probably won't come up again for a long time, or will be scrolled away in collections, or you know, as we said, might well come up and uh, be trying to sold for for more and more money. But they are two really amazing auctions, over a thousand pieces, and probably the best part of. Somewhere between um, half a million pounds and probably you know six hundred and fifty thousand pounds, and just goes to show that Star Wars ain't going anywhere soon. Star Wars is such an enduring cultural icon because you have generations that have grown up with it. As a kid, of course, I played with the action figures. I had the Millennium Falcon. I think I might have slept with it for years. To think about the amount of detail and thought that went into all the pieces. I hope that people see the innocence. You know, this is really pre-digital. This is really an end of an era. And it's so tactile, and it's something that doesn't really exist so much today. 
Now I want to welcome back Craig Spivey for this month's Rapid Fire Questions. You ready, Craig? I am, go on. What is your favourite Star Wars movie? I the first one, New Hope. What is your favourite Star Wars scene? Uh, I think when they're all escaping the Death Star. Who is your favourite on-screen character? Han Solo. And your favourite lightsaber duel? Uh, that's a good one. I'm going to go with the original one. It's just so iconic. So Vader, Vader versus Obi-Wan. Who is your favourite new character in The Force Awakens? I liked Kylo Ren. What was your favourite scene from The Force Awakens? I think the final the final scene with him and Han Solo was good. Leia, Padme or Rey? A Leia. If you could meet any cast or crew member from Star Wars, who would it be? Harrison Ford. Uh, who would you most like to see a spin-off movie about? Uh, the Max Rebo Band. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> if you could own any vehicle from any of the movies for personal use, what would you choose? Uh, Luke's, I, I always wanted a uh, land speeder like Luke, you know. I thought we'd all be riding them by now. If you could be a character in the Star Wars universe, what type of character would you be? I'd probably end up being a Jedi. What was your favourite toy figure as a child? Favourite? Probably Chewie. And what's your favourite figure now? I always liked the Royal Guard. Which toy do you wish you had when you were a child but didn't? Uh, the Imperial Shuttle I always wanted as a kid. I always thought it looked amazing. What is your favourite vehicle or playset? Palatoy Death Star. And which vehicle or playset do you wish they'd made? I never thought they did a great job of the Star Destroyer. It was always a little bit rubbish. Um, so it would be a better one of those. What is your favourite Helix item? The ruler. The ruler it was the first thing I ever had. First Star Wars item I ever owned. What is the strangest item in your collection? I've got a, a, a floor panel from the Falcon. That's a kind of odd thing to have. It's not a blaster or a helmet. It's a bit set dressing, but yeah, I love it. What was the last vintage Star Wars item you purchased? The little vans. You know, the, the airfix kits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Little sentence <laughs> And finally, what is your holy grail item? I'm still after those helix felt tips. They keep eluding me. Um, Craig, well, thank you very much. You're, you're very welcome. So, lads, on to our own rapid-fire question this month, and I want to know, from all of the characters you've seen in The Force Awakens, which one that hasn't already had an official three-and-three-quarter-inch figure release would you most anticipate seeing slash buying? Uh, Pete? Oh, that's quite an easy one, actually, because I find this character very interesting. Well, it's kind of two characters, really. It's the, the big, chunky fella and his, his little friend, Bazina, is, is her name. The one who reported the, our characters into the, the first order in the cantina. I think there, there's definitely a, a backstory there. I know, I know there's a book out about her already, a uh, young adult novel about her. So that's all, that's the figures I'm looking at. And I hope they do a set with the two together. Nice, nice. Rich? I would see a snork. I'd, I'd, I'd like a snork in the throne. Grump? Uh, I, I'd like to go back to the uh, episode one comlink ones, you know, those carded figures that could talk, and I'd like to have a Force Awakens Luke Skywalker figure. <laughs> <laughs> Always one, isn't there? Uh, Jez? <laughs> have they got Neen Num? They got what? Have they got Neen Num? Nine Num? 
he's bound to come out, isn't he? I, I would be, imagine so. That would be good to go back from you know the original to now, same figure. That'd be good for a focus collector. I would like a um a three pack of poker playing mosquitoes. <laughs> they were awesome. They were absolutely awesome. I love. I think. I think that they can really get a town on these cantina aliens. There were so many good ones again. The mosquito, superb. Did you guys notice as well? It's just before you, the camera reaches Maz. There's a guy. I'm not sure if it's the same character. I think his name is like Salo Gardner or something like that. He's um, he was in the cantina in A New Hope. He had kind of like a ghost mask on, like a scary yeah. ghost mask. He's also uh, in the, this cantina as well. Uh, I think the, uh, the gentleman who plays as well, he's, he's like 92 years old. Incredible. <laughs> How mad. Right then, well, don't forget we really do love receiving feedback and having Star Wars related news brought to our attention. So if you do see anything that you think would be of interest to us, or perhaps you see a recently acquired acquisition that Jez may like to look at, then you can contact us at show at vintagerebellion.co.uk or search for Vintage Rebellion on Facebook. Like our page and message us through there as well. You can also find us on Twitter at SWTVR Podcast and now, of course, on Instagram where we endeavour to post up more photos more regularly. Just search the Vintage Rebellion. So, Rich, has anyone contacted us about episode 19 and left us any feedback? Yeah, uh, we haven't had a huge amount of feedback from episode 19 and that's to be expected with um, some movie coming out and nearer Christmas time. But it's very clear that what were the big hits were the two finds. Um, I think everybody's sharing in on that whole find. Um, they found really good. Bruce White, Dorm Cab, Palatoy Lee and a couple of others have all said that they really like listened to the Big Pig interview and also my Palatoy find in the market. Bruce has also given us some feedback on those Japanese bottle tops that Jez was talking about and he's given us a couple of Brucey bonuses with some links to some old um, Rebuscom articles which we can post up on our Facebook thread for people to look through. Lawrence Dyer posted a photograph of his, is it the French-Canadian Snaggletooth that Pete was talking about? A couple of guys have posted posted up about some song that some guy was talking about on the last podcast I can't really remember it but a couple of guys commented on it yeah so like what Stu said keep your feedback coming and obviously since then we also released our Christmas episode and we haven't had much feedback on that but bizarre weird completely unexpected I think that's kind of the theme that we we're going for for that one so so thanks very much guys keep all your feedback coming and please if you haven't already done so like us on Facebook and leave us an iTunes review because we haven't had that many iTunes reviews and I'm not exactly certain why lots of podcasts are asking about iTunes reviews but there has to be a reason so we want some <laughs> and also talking of iTunes it does appear now that episode one is now no longer available via iTunes so if you do want to go back as far as show one then you'll have to go via Podbean where you can listen to all our shows anyway which is swtvrpodcast.podbean.com well, something that has interested us here at the Vintage Rebellion is where our listeners are from, and I think Grant wants to discuss the geography of our listeners. Grant? Yeah, it's one of these little things that we have on Podbeam. As an administrator, you can sort of find out where people have been downloading the podcast from, which is kind of interesting. And we, we looked at this about a year ago, maybe more than a year ago. Um, some of the similar stats come out. I was actually going to look at it and say, wow, I wonder how that compares to how successful The Force Awakens has been in different countries, and maybe it's comparable. But then I realized that The Force Awakens, when they were released in different countries, they were also in the, the language of those countries, unlike us, which is English. So that didn't work at all. Still, obviously, the UK, the US, Australia, Sweden, Ireland, and Canada 
where we have the most successful amount of downloads. A big surprise to us is the next one on the list is Brazil. And when we looked at that over a year ago, there was no downloads from Brazil. So that has shot up from nowhere. So that, that was really interesting and exciting, a stat to read. Uh, plenty of European countries follow. But some of the new countries that are added to the list are getting plenty of downloads from our places like uh, China, Mexico, Japan, Argentina, Greece, Egypt, India, Colombia, Hungary, Poland, Hong Kong, Jordan, Nicaragua, Peru, Singapore, Kenya, Oman, Romania, Venezuela, Azerbaijan, Algeria, Malaysia, Saudi Arabia, and Vietnam. So, you know, I think the most interesting thing about that is that we're getting much more hits from Eastern Europe, Asia, the Far East, Latin America, and Africa, which is just amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, you know, I wonder if it's backpackers or, you know, I'm not, not exactly sure, but... Yeah, it's, just, it's that exciting to hear that the, you know this has been downloaded in all those amazing countries. Mm. We're global, Grant. Now we're a global podcast. Yeah, it's only one download in each one, mind. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> Something that we also alluded to in a previous show was that Jez is running the London Marathon and was planning on doing it dressed as someone from Star Wars. Now, Jez, do you have any more information? Quite simply, lads, there's a wonderful charity out there called Make a Wish. They exist for one reason to grant magical wishes for children with life-threatening or life-changing medical conditions. Now, I've seen the wonderful work they do, as I've been directly involved with a couple of wishes over the last few years whilst doing my primary job. What I've seen is for these children, it's a desperately welcome break in a life which often revolves entirely around medical procedures, chemotherapy, radiotherapy. But what's also key is it gives the parents, it gives the mum and dads an opportunity to see their children living life again and, and enjoying themselves, smiling, laughing. It gives them an opportunity for those who might not have much longer left with their children to have some wonderful, lasting memories of a really, really good time. What Make-A-Wish do is just, it, it's beautiful, but they receive no government funding and it's entirely based on donations and voluntary work. And, and this is where I'm coming in. And this is where I'm glad that the podcast have agreed just to help me out this time. I've pledged to raise over £2,000 for Make-A-Wish. And I'm going to do this by running the 2016 London Marathon. Now, I know I ran the marathon last year, so I know that people know that I can do that. So what's the point? Where's the challenge? So this time it's different. With the help of Mark Newbold from Jedi News and Radio 1138, I'm now working with the UK garrison, who are loaning me a film-accurate Stormtrooper costume. Yes, I'm going to be running the 2016 London Marathon in a full screen-accurate Stormtrooper costume. Now, most people think I'm mad. Some people think I'm a little bit crazy. I know this is going to hurt. I know that it will end up in me um, probably getting cut up a little bit, particularly in the thigh region. It's not going to be comfortable. But then life of these kids who make a wish help is certainly far from comfortable. So why can't I just do that for a few hours? I need some help though. So this is where I, I need some help and I need some sponsorship. I just urge people to please check out Make-A-Wish and you can do that by having a look at a new Facebook page which I've put together. If you go into Facebook and just search for Make a Star Wars Wish, I'm sure you'll find my page. Also, you can see my Just Given page, justgiven.com forward slash The Force Awakens. Yeah, I thought that one would be one people wouldn't forget. So please, you'll be hearing more of this hopefully in future podcasts. But make a Star Wars wish on Facebook and you'll see some photographs of this crazy guy starting to do some training in a Stormtrooper outfit. Come on, dig deep, guys. I really, really need your help on this. 
Thanks very much. Brilliant, Jess. Great charity as well. And a helmet in a helmet. <laughs> oh, you funny. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so once again, a massive Happy New Year. 2016 is looking like a belter with another Star Wars movie in Row 1. More Rebels, Celebration of London, Farthest Froms, and of course, regular Vintage Rebellion podcasts. And that's obviously just for starters, so it looks like it's going to be a stonker of a year. And a massive thank you to Craig Spivey, Thomas Garvey, and Matthew Fox for speaking with us this month. That is all from us for this show. So it is, for the first time this year, goodbye from Dickie. Later, guys. Good night from Grant. See you in the cinema. Goodbye from Jezebel. See you later, guys. Farewell from PD. You will remove these restraints and leave the cell door open. <laughs> and it's good night from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. <laughs> This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Why, you stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder! Ah!